Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and to share our members' stories. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of our conservation conversations. Uh, I, I said this was going to be a two-part, guys. This turns out to be there's so much good stuff here. Uh, we're going to make it a three-part or so. A lot of content in uh, in a few days here. So we're going to drop this one today. And then uh, we're going to hit you uh, one more time over the weekend. So you're going to have plenty of conversations to catch up on uh, in 15, 30 minute segments. Um, and it's all good stuff. I, I'm, I'm super excited to bring it to you. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I hope you're feeling that uh, that convention electricity all over again. Uh, and as as southern states start to open up, you replay these conversations. It's just it's getting you through to those opening days. So th- uh, on this one, we're going to welcome in Ben Burnington of Onyx, uh, Rob Cat, country artist, Justin Adams, country artist Josh Bagwell, Bear Davidson, and David Ellis Yacht Yacht. Have you guys seen this guy, David Ellis, trapping pigs on YouTube? Holy crap. He's got a, a crazy following. Uh, he's, he's a passionate trapper and, and, and loves trapping pigs. And uh, we don't have pig problem here in the Northeast. So it, this is all new information to me, but uh, super entertaining dude. I was happy to have everybody in uh, on this one. Uh, part three, uh, just as energetic. Uh, and we're going to end it off with, with a bang there with some, some good folks there. So um, enjoy this one, guys. Big slate of guests. Part two drops now. We're going to catch up with all those folks. 90 seconds. Let's go. Turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com. From decoys and calls to apparel, boots, and blinds. Plus, Sportsman's Guide has much more than just hunting gear. From fishing, camping, and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires. For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com slash conservation. Hey, y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Okie dokie. Had a little well-needed break, and now we're back at it in the uh, Turkey Call All Access podcast booth here at the 46th National Convention and Sports Show. I'm joined by Ben Brennington from Onyx Hunt, one of my favorite apps. Well, it's good to be here. It's yeah. Everyone is excited, and we're back, back in Nashville, so this is fantastic. It's uh. It's good to be amongst friends and family uh, in person and not on a Zoom call. Oh, you got that right. So <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. No, I'm Looking glad we're able to, to make it. it work. You know, uh, 
I know you got a, a seminar coming up where you're going to be able to get in the weeds on some of this. We got about 30 minutes, but you know, I, I thought it was important to to have the opportunity to bring you on and and you know talk about new additions to Onyx. You guys mm -hmm. feels like. Every time I turn around, you guys are adding new layers, <laughs> new technology. I'm just trying to keep up with, you know, my neighbors. Like, who's the new guy that moved in town? And I go spy on him a little bit. I <laughs> uh, love it. Love yeah. it. No, it's, it's, yeah, we're growing. It's great. Life is, life is good. And getting ready to get, get into the spring turkey woods. So. Now, you guys a, a couple of years ago came out with turkey layers. Uh, have you added to it, built upon it? Yeah, so we that's uh, in terms of the uh, like the subspecies distribution, that's that's all still rolling. Obviously, not a whole lot really changes okay. there. So yeah, we'll update it periodically. But, you know, for the turkey hunter, we've got in the last year, we've really put out some stuff that is going to be super valuable. So I mean, if you're so I guess to start off. You know, if people aren't familiar with it, it's a digital hunting app. So it's right on your phone. You can see private public land boundaries, but that's kind of where it starts. That's, you know, what a lot of people use it for. But after that, you can get super in the weeds. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I want to kind of like, you know, we don't have to go deep dive each <laughs> one, but, you know, touch on that because I am one of those people. Yeah. And and I'm glad you pointed out who, you know, what the company is. I just assume at this point everybody knows what yeah. Onyx is, right? Yeah. But, there's definitely people that are new to the show and um, you know, multiple uses. We all primarily, like you said, use it for boundaries, especially if you're uh, where I live in New England. We, we have uh, it didn't used to be unique, but at this point in time, it is unique. Like if it's not posted, you can play on it. Oh, yeah. So we have like some free reign and we're still able to, you know, recreate That's on nice. other people's property um, for now. Uh, Southern yeah. New England has changed, and I think like west of the 495 belt in Massachusetts, um, you can do that. But anything Boston proper, north, south, you got to get permission. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. So there's not many places you can go. So the majority of us, especially us traveling turkey hunters, mm -hmm. kind of, I killed my Rio last year in Nebraska because of Onyx. Ah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. That is sweet. I found the landowner, found out who it was. Yep. And this dude uh, answered the door with a jacked up arm. He was in a sling. Yeah. And he's a turkey hunter. He's an NWTF member. Oh, dang. And uh, he says, I said, dude, there's a, a Rio strutting by your cottonwood stand. I'd very much like to go <laughs> kill it. And he's like, man, if I wasn't hung up, I would have killed him. I've been watching him for three weeks. He's like, go get him. <laughs> That's awesome. And I did. It was great. I was like, holy smokes. But anyway, yeah, they don't want to hear me tell my silly stories. I want to hear... Educate me because this is a much for me learning as, you know, everyone that's going to be in the seminar on Saturday yeah. and just break it down. For sure. So, you know, like you said, the, the public private, knowing where you can hunt, f finding a landowner, talking to them, getting permission um, after you do that. That's kind of like where the fun starts for me. So um, let's just like a situation you're traveling out of town, whatever, driving around. The first thing I'll do is, you know, I'll obviously driving around pieces of public ground if you're hunting public or just driving around and knock on, uh, knock on doors. But a lot of people don't use even just waypoints, right? Like you can add a waypoint, you can pick an icon, say, all right, there's a strutter here, saw a hen here, et cetera. So even before I get into the field, I'll go on the maps and start marking like good looking turkey hunts, right? Like I should go check this out. I should go check that out because what it seems like is when you get out there, it's just like, sometimes your brain is just like, uh, this is overwhelming. Yeah, or, for sure. I don't know where to go. So marking those waypoints and adding notes too, like, especially 
if you see, oh, like, all right, I saw a flock over there. It had two gobblers in it, or I saw hens here, but I didn't see, but I didn't see any gobblers there. So putting detailed notes and just year over year too, like you start to develop patterns. Yeah. Okay. There's birds here. So that's the first thing. And then, you know, once you find turkeys, that's where I really use it a ton. Um, the first thing is uh, line distance tool. I don't know if you ever used that before. I have. Yeah. yeah. I had to have a buddy show me how to do it, but super valuable. Yeah. So and a lot of people don't know this. Heck, I didn't know this until about a year and a half ago. And now I can't, I can't not use it. Um, so in the bottom right corner of the app, there's the crosshair here. Yeah. And if you tap it once, it'll take you, it'll take you to where you are, your blue dot on a map. But if you double tap it, it'll show you that which, I did know. I yes. figured that one out and I use that all the oh, time. So you've got a bird, let's just say you got a bird goblin in the timber or something like that. And you're, you've never been there before. It's easy to get turned around, right? It's like, Oh, where, like what's going on? So yeah. you double tap that. And essentially it shows you which way your phone is facing. Exactly. So with that and the line distance tool, it's like, okay, I think he's about this far. Um, you know, if you're looking at a roost tree, you're like, okay, you can go look on the map on the aerial imagery and say, all right, that's probably, you know, there's a big stand of trees there. That's probably where he's roosted. And that's like, that's just a killer, For someone, killer combination. Admittedly, uh, I suck at direction, you know. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, I was not blessed with that, that part of my genetic makeup. So thank God for app like Onyx, right? Because yeah. I do, because I to orient myself, I do that all the time and, and get where I need to go. And it's, it's great. Even... You know, I'll I'll study the map here on my phone, uh -huh. knowing a place I'm gonna go, mm -hmm. and then you know, as soon as I get it, and I'll start using that. Um, it, it, it's funny, like the technology that's in our hands, right? I think oh, it's poignant right. because when I was in the military, right in the late '90s and early 2000s, yeah. we had pluggers. There was no screen. A plugger was a, a global yeah. GPS position, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Got you within like an eight or ten grid digit point i forget how to say it now it's yeah, just yeah. like we used to use protractors to like oh god you know do everything <laughs> and uh you had it on the topo maps and so i'm going from that with old paper maps to like oh my gosh like right here like this is everything you ever needed so i wanted to ask you like how with that blue dot when i zoom in like on a like how close am i like what's the yeah i mean, I mean is it within feet is it within yards it's within feet i think it's uh, I that think the accuracy is like they, they think GPS is still like 30 feet or something like that. And you'll see it sometimes, right? Like you all of a sudden, like whether you're using Onyx or Google Maps, all of a sudden it'll you'll you'll start jumping a little yeah. bit. And that's just your phone, whether it's it'll happen with any GPS mapping software, whatever. But yeah, within 30, 30 feet generally. Um, so. I really liked when you guys um, I don't know when it happens. It's. it's it's been a while, a while but the um, in-app sharing capabilities. Oh, yeah. You know, because I'll get buddies out of town that I'll, I'll semi-guide, right? I, mm -hmm. I got to still go to work or I got to take the kids to hockey or whatever. Yep. I can't be with them, but I'll drop a pin and be like, hey, go here. Yes. And they can just, they can take their truck and go right to it. It's crazy. Yeah. And so we've expanded on that. It just, it just got released, uh, gosh, I think a few weeks ago, but 
maybe a little bit longer than that, but essentially you can do folders, right? So I'll put, let's just say I'm going to a trip to Nebraska and I'll put all of those waypoints in a Nebraska folder, or let's just say I'm going Northeast Nebraska, whatever, put that all in there. And then again, like you said, you got a buddy that wants to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Nebraska. I can go and put all those waypoints in there and share the folder with them. So, because otherwise, I mean, we, if you use the app, you've been there where it's like, all right, share this one, share this right, waypoint, right, and then one all, all of a sudden you've got a string of text messages. That's right. You're like, oh, did I add this one? Did I not add this one? So you can put tracks, waypoints, yeah, that's awesome. anything in the folder, and then just share that. That's super so, helpful. Because you're right when yet when it populates in your your text stream, yeah. it all looks the same. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, like, oh, did I miss I one? Think I added this one. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's pretty cool um we've got the other thing i don't know if you've used it at all but like our crop crop layers no tell us about yeah it. so the crop layers uh essentially it'll show you in the spring it's really relevant so it'll show what is planted in right now like so you're it's like all right i'm looking at a piece of property it's like i can tell all right this is a cornfield this is a wheat field. This is a soybean field or whatever. So super nice. For, How do you guys get that? Information? Yeah, we get it. So government agencies. So really? we get it. And, so, okay, got it. Yeah. And then essentially, so in the fall, if you're using it in the fall, the deer hunt or whatever, it'll, it'll be a year behind. They don't publish that data until like February, but for turkey hunting, you know, what's right left in that field is going to be there. So, you know, corn, whatever, you'll see it. Can't remember how many different types of crops, but that's awesome. Pretty much everything. And so. now, so that's government owned land. So you, you're not getting that information for like my property. If no, I well, so, I mean, the government, I mean, pretty much everything is surveyed. I mean, all okay. done through aerial. So got it. you'll see, you know, if you go look at your property or whatever, and it'll show like, oh, yep. And even like crazy things, like when I'm out in South Dakota, a lot of the game and fish will plant Milo strips or whatever. And sure enough, you can see those Milo strips that are maybe only 20, so you guys, 20 yards wide. Initially, it was explained to me that it's all based off of public record tax maps. So yep. Essentially a way of going into the town hall in yep. Lee, New Hampshire, where I'm from, yeah. and asking for this information. Is that how it's done, or is it all digitized? Like, I, I picture this NSA-esque building, <laughs> and there's so many of you just hammering away on keyboards and yeah. dragging and dropping and updating information. Like, how, how does it work? Like, take us beyond the scenes, yeah. if you can. Yeah, so, I mean, essentially, nowadays, it's a lot more streamlined, but back when the company was growing even before i got there a lot of the times you know certain counties or townships or whatever they i mean they didn't have digital maps right it was like they're all hand drawn they were handwritten landowners and like you go in like you said and buy a plat book for thirty dollars a county or whatever it was and so as you know as technology got better a lot of the counties would do it themselves. They would pay to have it digitized, it would be online. You could see it on their GIS system. But there were a lot of counties that we actually would go to and say, hey, if you give us this information, we'll digitize it for you because we want it. And then the, and the benefit- They're all about for, it. Yeah, benefit for them is they don't have to pay someone to do it. Yeah. We'll do it and then we get that information. Smart. So, yeah. And that gets updated. You know, a lot of them are updated uh, automatically. So as soon as the county changes it, it gets piped in and, yep. And it's, so a lot of people ask like, well, you know, my property hasn't been updated in 
you know, five years, it's like, well, a lot of that is just due to your county, right? Like they might have not updated it on their Onyx system. isn't going out there with the Google car, you know, taking pictures. No, and doing no. All this I'm stuff. not, I'm not a door to door salesman. <laughs> like, Hey, are you Fred Bird? Yeah. Do you live here? No. So yeah, it's, it's just all, you know, about streamlining it and making it easier so we can spend our time building cool new features and obviously have the most updated info. So yeah. yeah. Any, uh, any of your stuff come like by way of crowdsourcing? No, but that's the thing. I mean, hunters in general are a little, everyone's got an opinion, right? They're a little leery too, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to share my stuff with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've talked about it, but at the end of the day, it's like your information is yours. Like, so years ago, here, here's my, here's my great idea. Let's hear it. And I'm going back like 10 years. I wanted to do an app very much like what this is. Uh, but the whole crux of it was in-app texting. I wanted oh. to be able to text my buddies in the app. And I don't know if there's practicality to that because texting is so much yeah. better 10 years down the road. But I always thought it would have been cool. Like you could talk to people within the Texas back then. I mean, it cost money for text. Oh, I know. Right. <laughs> so now yeah. it's not really applicable but yeah you had to log on to the internet to yeah, send yeah. a text type deal yeah but no we've got some like we'll have coming up here pretty soon we'll have some really cool features that all that we can collaborate easier on um one that's going to get released any day now is uh, essentially like a it's a sharing function so we could go on the computer we're planning a trip together and see the both see the same screen i can see you know just like a live doc yeah it'd be essentially like sharing your screen on google or zoom so just collaborative planning right versus like Okay, uh, do you see this property? No, I don't see it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like, yeah, exactly. It's got the white house on yeah. it with the fire pit in the backyard. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you're a town over. Yeah, yeah exactly. So oh, that, that's coming up here any day now. It should be yeah. rolling out. So uh, yeah, a lot of cool stuff going. Are, are you guys uh, still located out west or you got teams in different spots yeah. now? Well, I mean, obviously the world has changed a whole bunch in the last year and a half. But yeah, so we've got an office in Missoula and, and in Bozeman. Um, but more and more are, you know, it's remote workers. So we've got people all over the country, which is great, right? The growth of this organization is, is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember what number employee I was, but it's been doubled in the whole year and a half I've been there. So. I, I remember a number of years ago at this event, I think it was one of the first times Onyx like exhibited here. Yeah. So um, Zach, Matt, and um, Dylan, maybe? Dylan. Yeah. The trio of them. Yeah. And I felt like they were holding everything down and running everything. <laughs> and uh, at the time they were they themselves as entities were largely unknowns yeah but everyone knew the the branding yep and they would just like walk through and yeah you know, how things have changed right oh. and how the how the business and, and and the organization has grown and the got the jobs created yeah it's awesome yeah it's great and and you know it's it's fun still because it is like inside day-to-day working at onyx like it it, it feels like we still have that founder's mentality, that small, like it feels like a small company, but then you step back for a second. It's like, wow, this is, this is really became something. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. Great, great company. Great folks. So what, uh, I know you said that one, uh, updates coming any, anything you guys are like super stoked about that you can share. Yeah. Well, we've got something that really got released this fall that, 
I don't think a lot of people know about yet is uh, it's trees. It's a tree species layer, which is super dang cool. Yeah, for, man, that's that's highly important. Yeah, especially so like, if you got white acorns on your property. Well, for most people, the nice thing is <laughs> I can I can go into the layers. And I can go turn on its tree species and habitat maps. Like, let's just say, let's pick uh, this deciduous tree distribution. I can turn that on. I can go in there. I can pick what trees. So like, all right, I want to see oak trees. And I can flip that on. And let's just look here around our city of Nashville. And, and see all that highlighted in red. Those are all That's oak trees. all oak trees. So you can you can turn oak trees on, you can turn aspens, anything you want. And you know then, this stuff is spooky, right? Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 wild for me. Like oh, this is and th and again, this is this is surveyed information. Like you guys yeah. aren't. I mean, yeah, this is all, all just, it's all through lidar. So that is incredible to me. Yeah, it's incredible that someone's out there keeping tabs on all this stuff yeah and it's yeah then that's been man that has been so huge for for me i'm a big big grouse hunter up north and like you know i can see all of the aspen cuts like the young aspens and for turkey guys we've got an acorn producing oaks layer that'll show literally oak trees that are old enough that they'll be they sh theoretically should be a mass tree it's amazing you know so, it's a buddy of mine <clears throat> once told me you know looking at the uh, satellite views he's like you know you know these are oaks because they're this color and you know and yeah. then if they updated the 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 overhead the eagle eye at a certain time uh, of year yeah i mean obviously if the, the foliage fell you knew what was what yeah but, but uh, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it now it's awesome like, always looking for like these dark green patches like oh those are your oaks this is yeah, where we need exactly. to concentrate and you got you have to be a, a botanist or yeah, whatever yeah. to figure it out but so like the thing I like to tell people is like, there's a bunch of different tools where like independently they're cool, but like you throw all those things, the crops, the trees, you know, the line distance, all that stuff together. And then, it, I mean, it's, it's a deadly combination. So, I mean, I mean, you start gaming that out, right? If you got a piece of property that you can manage and do habitat work on, knowing what's around you is, I mean, yeah. most people don't know. They don't have the access to it. Yep. So exactly. you can strategize and further dial in. So if there's if there's something missing on the landscape, yeah. that you can. Add, I didn't even think all, about it. All of a sudden, now you're the honey hole. Yeah, I didn't think about it from the management perspective. Yeah, that's true. It's like you, you can see everything. Yeah. So it's like, well, heck, there's no oak trees around here. I'm gonna start all of a sudden oak you're the or... you're the game. Exactly. Yeah. So crazy stuff this is great it? this is stuff we gotta talk about you yeah. gotta talk about on saturday you'll they'll just light right up oh yeah it's it's i mean i can't imagine doing it i can't imagine hunting now without it like i would be a lost little puppy dog that's you know i i i tongue-in-cheek say i can't wait for the lights to get turned off someday and just reset us yeah so we can go back to like knowing <laughs> our neighbors but then yeah. the same very same thought i'm like if the lights turn out, I don't have a map book anymore and I'm screwed. <laughs> like I'll never find where I'm going. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's crazy how we've just, it's just become an extension of us and part of our lives. I know. Yeah. It's, it's the good, good and bad to it. Right. Yeah. Well, assuming there's redundancy. So, I mean, so I'm not a super, uh, computer guy, but you guys must have to have a hell of a server to, like how, what does that all entail? That's, Again, if it's proprietary top secret, that's don't spill a great it. question because I, I I couldn't tell you. It's got to be know. huge. Yeah, it's I mean, 
the growth we've seen, I mean, there's got to be the infrastructure to support it. I'm like I say, I'm not an engineer or yeah. a developer by any means, but yeah. It's... Again, I picture these long rooms um, <laughs> of, of black cabinets with blinky lights. And yeah. Like that's how I'm finding my turkeys. Thank yep. you, blinky Thank lights. Thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> somewhere out in the, the deserts of the West. Yeah. Um, I was just going somewhere with the, the, the spooky stuff. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you guys are here. You're not displaying, right? No, we don't have a we don't have a booth this year, uh, just with with the COVID yes. junk Got and it. whatnot. So I wanted to ask you, uh, do you know roughly like how many subscribers you guys have? Are you allowed to share that? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, that's 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 one of the top secret Very things. Good. But, All right, then yeah. I won't press that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm but, just more fascinating, curious to like to see the buy-in and also. I'm just curious, do you guys, are you guys able to figure out like who's who in the zoo? I mean, you know everything about everything. Like, do you know your hunters? Because you guys came out with a, a wreck trail. Yeah. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, we have, yep. So what was the question? Well, like, do you know, like, can you tell based on what's being used, like who's who in the zoo? Like, or do you have primarily hunters or do you have outdoor recreation enthusiast yeah. guys, you know, running their, gotcha, their mud gotcha. truck stuff? Yeah. So we've got, so we've got three apps under the Onyx family we've got hunt obviously yep. and then backcountry and off-road okay so for also off they're independent okay yep exactly so you know for us probably obviously 99 percent hunters but then you know at these shows you're talking to someone i was in eastern Tennessee or western tennessee the other day and one guy saw my shirt on and said oh i use that for real estate all the time dude yeah, yeah. they do i heard that too from mm -hmm. realtors i know so yeah, I mean, just there's a lot of ways to use it. And like you said, you can be the creepy neighbor even. And yeah, like, well, oh, I saw that crazy story, right? I got a, I got this neighbor behind me that, you know, we all leave each other alone. Yeah. Get along like there's no animosity. Yeah. But kept walking along using the, my app, what mm -hmm. I presume to be my property boundary within yep. reason. And uh, I kept finding these weird copper wires like being strung throughout my trees and my property. And, huh. and I was like, all this electrical wire, what the hell is that? I just thought it was trash from like private, previous owners. And yeah, yeah, yeah. every time the winter would come and go, I just thought more stuff came to the surface. Huh. Until one day my dog got caught in it and almost died, like oh. was was hanging her. And I started cutting it. So then I, uh, I started pressing the issue. I seen the, the neighbor out there and using Onyx, I walked out there with the app open yep. and he was on, so what it turned out to be is this guy's a, uh, a ham radio enthusiast. Oh. And he's using the wires to get signal. And then, <laughs> no, because he has these big giant ladders. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And I pulled Onyx and I said, listen, man, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to be confrontational. I just wanted you to know uh, this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's where you live and here's where I live. And this yeah. is your line and my line. Exactly. And it was super helpful. Like it kind of, it wasn't, you know, I don't know if it would hold up in a court of law, but for that moment, it, it diffused any sort of potential bad wrong turn in that conversation. It's like, yeah. look, man, like I'm doing my homework. This shows your name. This shows my name. Can you just take your stuff off? My yeah, name? exactly. And he was super cool and nice. And like, we didn't have a problem. Yeah. And I've never seen any more weird wires on my property <laughs> since. But I mean, it's That's just a dude. I can't say I've ever heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Problem solving all around with the Onyx. Yeah. But do uh, and I know surveyors use it as well. Oh, yeah. A lot of lot of government agencies, BLM, et cetera, all that. Um, game wardens use it a ton, right? Yep. Because just like you said, they can say, 
Like, no, you are clearly trespassing or you shouldn't be here. Have you guys, has this ever come up, like the accuracy in a case? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm sure it has. Um, I'm curious because, and here, here's the here's the crux of my question. It costs four to $6,000 to have your property surveyed, geez. right? Yeah. Where yeah. I live. It's not cheap. No. So if you want to put a fence or you want to argue a boundary, like you need legal standing mm -hmm. and it just can't be like i guess one foot this way or like you you gotta, you gotta be, be on it dead on and i was just that's why i'm curious like how that's why i asked you at the beginning like yeah. how accurate is this you're telling me feet like that's pretty damn accurate it, it, it's it's yeah it's pretty accurate and there's you know obviously there's going to be some anomalies somewhere but it's the, the funny stories of you know people will get it and look and be like oh i own oh more than i, I own more than i thought yeah. or Oh, geez, I'm, <laughs> I have taken over the neighbor's land a yeah, little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's wild It's stuff. wild the way the conversation goes. You start really thinking about all the applications and all the ways you can deep. And, and we're scratching the surface. I know. In 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. So what, uh, is there anything like you hope to see come out of this? Any wish list project or? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that we've got coming in the pipe. Um, you woodcock hunt you're gonna show a migration map on there yeah we're you know that's that's and then you brought up the point of crowdsourcing like i think that's super interesting you know you talk about my migratory birds ducks geese woodcock like that kind of stuff that would be fun yeah exactly. just extra information more uh interaction and causing more people to go on yep exactly um but no i'm like right now i am loving life with onyx when it comes yeah. to hunting just because it's like i don't know every time you go on a trip it feels like you're like you go there and you you can be successful right it's like I, I, can, I can go over there yep. yeah i can kill a bird like no problem so that's i mean that's the most the other, exciting the other thing. part to that too is it it lessens um potential disappointment right because yeah. if you know there's a spot you can't touch you don't even bother with it exactly i mean unless you want to wildlife view but that's yeah. all you're going to be doing yep 100 <laughs> percent. yeah why yeah. bother putting yourself through the pain yeah and suffering well and then it's like like piece of property that you know it happens more and more it's like oh this guy lives in new york or this guy lives in yeah might be in nebraska and this guy in california owns it so you know what you would do spending two days or whatever knocking on doors right. and it's like no good luck you're not gonna find it that's here, exactly so. right yeah cool man well i'm that's a fast half hour yeah this is great love it you're gonna get to do it all again like i said on saturday uh so um Phil Farrar, who's up there, is a big fan yep. as well, who's heading up the seminar. So yeah. they've probably got all sorts of questions for I'm, you. He's I'm great. looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. It'll be great. Um, what are uh, you guys going to have displays and kind of walk people through it? Yeah, we'll have, we'll have the map open and we're going to bring on uh, Lake and Jordan from Primos. Oh, yeah, gonna, that's right. They're going to jump in there and they're they're big users and, and obviously get to travel the whole country shooting jerkies using Onyx. So they're going to come in. And yeah, just pretty much step you know, start to finish showing you how to e-scout find potential areas and then also when you're in the field using it um to get on birds and, and be more successful so oh i did it again i just had a, had a funny <laughs> thing i wanted to share with you and i lost it yeah give me a second this is the fun part of a podcast is i can cut this out <laughs> so we were we were building up we did a couple podcast episodes to build up convention brought some staff on talk about stuff we can look forward to and uh i i was doing a, a little section on 
convention hacks. Oh. Things to help your convention and, you know, to make it easier, you know, hydrate, wear good shoes, stuff like that. Yep. And one of them was to download Onyx because this place is so flipping big. <laughs> if you get lost, I was like, seriously, drop a waypoint at your room. And then you can find your way home. It won't give you like what floor you're on, but you'll get you in the right area. Even better, start your tracker. Yeah, exactly right. Start the tracker and drop breadcrumbs. That's a good point because like just even walking here, it was like I you just see people just wandering around like uh, where am I? And a lot of it looks the same. So unless you've been here year after year, you you, you do this a couple times, you get your set spots. You're pretty quick. But if you're brand new and this is your first one, like it's like being in Vegas. Yeah, holy smokes. So that was uh yeah. Onyx hack there you for go. convention. I like it. So awesome. I appreciate you cutting out the time. Have a good yeah. seminar and enjoy the rest of the convention. Thanks for being it. a Thank you for your support of the National Turkey Federation. Awesome. Thanks, All right, Fred. Brother. I've seen a lot of the, the historic spots, the Carson spot. And, oh, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. Did you see the uh, one I did in the Mike Douglas show the night that Ronald Reagan was elected president? I was on with Bob Hope, Ernest Borgnine, Hank Williams Jr., some soap opera stars. Yeah, I the Hank Williams was he on with Carson with you at the same time? Because no. I remember him being with you. Yeah. The, the stills I saw. I'm about to tell the truth. No. I went with old Kitty Carlisle, Soupy <laughs> Sales, Tom Seaver. I watched, we were the Friday show, and I watched Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And the first part, I was uh, an impersonator for Yul Brenner's son. You were? And I fooled them all. Then I came back on as the uh, world champion bird caller, and I had to figure out none of them guessed. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Won a Lazy Boy recliner and a year's supply of Hawaiian Tropic suntan lotion. <laughs> That's fantastic. If you if you haven't recognized the voice by this point, we are uh, honored to have in uh, former NWTF CEO Rob Keck. It's a pleasure to have you. This is the first time I've ever gotten a chance to sit uh, at a table with you and, and and talk to you face to face. So so thanks for making the time. Your, sure. Your, your knee is in, is uh, in some healing shape, so it's not easy it for you to get around. Yeah. So look, thank I you. To, I had to get a, a late season muzzleloader hunt in Iowa done, which ran the first week of January. I told the surgeon we got to have the first open. <laughs> date after that so i can make the nwtf convention and turkey season yeah he said all right you're on for january 20th so that was three weeks ago and uh anyway it's coming along really well, well good just using a cane to get around and uh two weeks that i'll be able to drive my truck again there you so, go amen yeah uh you know but first i want to ask you i mean obviously there's there's a breadth of history sitting right in front of me and i, I have probably a million questions but we're back we're home that was that's kind of the, the tagline this week welcome home how has this changed from years of you being here? Like where we're at today from your earliest memory of convention? Well, you know, this is the 46th convention. Looking at celebrating, of course, the 50th anniversary of the Federation next year. Yeah. But uh, I remember way back when Opera Land was half this size and they just had one conservatory. And when I came here, I came to uh, check the place out and sign a contract. And let me tell you, you talk about getting tight. I'm thinking, I'm going to book this place. I'm going to fill it. I mean, in the past, you know, we had conventions in Charleston and New Orleans and, you know, different places around the country, but never a venue like right here in Nashville. And uh, 
You know, when we sat down with Chamber of Commerce, they took and drew a circle, 500 mile radius around Nashville, and they said 80% of the nation's population lives within 500 miles of Nashville. And we knew we had a lot of drive in turkey hunters that would come. And I thought, can we fill this place? I was so uptight about it. <laughs> and it was amazing. We filled it. And uh, so many great things came out of that. People loved it because it was all under one roof. And uh, the different venues we were able to host, you know, the Grand Nationals, the welcome party. I mean, some of those early days. I mean, one of them that sticks in my mind was uh, the night that I had Aaron Tippin. And I had so many artists that donated their time for the convention. And there uh, was Aaron. He was singing the Stars and Stripes and the Eagle Flies. And I had Challenge of the Eagle right there on side of stage. And when Aaron hit and the Eagle Flies like that, <laughs> That challenger flew over the crowd. It was packed, packed. We filled the Delta Ballroom, wow. 3,500 people. People were crying. They were sucking air. It was <laughs> it was unbelievable. And it really, it touched the patriotism. And it was something I always tried to elevate, even from the very, very beginning. My dad, a World War II Battle of the Bulge veteran. And uh, we tried to make sure that it was God, family, and country, that you know, we celebrated families and uh, we just continued to play on that and grow with that. Grew into our uh, Saturday mornings, the Winchester breakfast, which is our veterans breakfast and started off small, but man, it was one of the most moving. You never saw so many tears in people's eyes when we recognized every one of the different branches of our military. Had people like General Schwarzkopf and the Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman. I mean, just people like that. And then warriors, I'll never forget uh, the one year we were in Atlanta and there were, uh, I think there were 50 that had just come back from Iraq and uh, they were all wounded veterans. They brought them up by a busload and I got them to come in right at the very beginning of that veterans breakfast. You can't imagine the electricity that was there in that room to honor those men that had sacrificed, that were wounded in battle. Uh, there were just so many times that we, we made memories. It was fun. That three letter word fun had to be part of everything that we did. You know, we did that with our volunteers. We showed that if you work hard and you're shown appreciation, have skin in the game, they will walk through a concrete wall to get the mission done, raise you the money that you need to raise. And they did that at this convention. As we brought people in from, from all walks of life, you know, it was really neat. You could find, well, anybody from like Justice Scalia to people like uh, uh, governors and, and other heads of state to just average Joe Q six pack, just rednecks sitting on a tailgate. <laughs> Everybody, there was a place here for everyone, no matter what, every walk of life, whether you're rich or poor, young or old, male or female, black or white, there was a place for everyone. I mean, there were people that saved all year long, every nickel so they could come here to, to Opera Land, which isn't a cheap place to come to. Anybody's ever been here. But, uh, you know, it was a place where we grew things like uh, the calling company 
competition. I got to start the very first Grand Nationals back in 1977, gave it the name, and uh, it was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, we had, oh, maybe eight, 900 people that came to that first convention, a far cry from 50 or 60,000 <laughs> yeah, today. Right, right. But it, you had to start you had somewhere. To start somewhere. <laughs> and that calling competition, it just bred more local state competitions all over, and those winners then would come to the, to the you know, the national convention every year. And it was also a time then that really uh, the development of so many turkey calls came out. I mean, back in those early days, things like double reed callers were almost like non-existent. Double slates and pot calls were like non-existent. Uh, long boxes, boat paddles, they didn't exist at that 1977 convention. So what you saw was a lot of entrepreneurship. You saw a lot of inventiveness that uh, turkey hunters always looking for the next best call. And uh, they would come and they'd trade calls, trade ideas, trade secrets, and uh, you know, it morphed into, into the decorative and the working call competition, which is just truly amazing. In fact, uh, yesterday I had, I had the privilege of judging uh, the decorative call we, calls. We had over 100 entries in there. Some of them the most creative that you'd ever want to imagine. If you've never been here, you need to come. You need to see it. The craftsmanship, the ingenuity, and uh, the fact that, yeah, they even make the sound of a turkey. Yeah, they're amazing. I, I Dave Constantine comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Olden Jr., seeing those calls and they're, they're works of art. Yeah. And then and when you functional. look, and when you look at the working calls, I mean, you think about uh, where it's come, the quality of the sound that comes out of those. And of course, competition breeds competition and brings you even a better product in the end. And so many of these vendors that you find right here today, uh, they were, a lot of them were little mom and pop shops to start with have grown into you know into big companies i mean i remember dick kirby for example uh i remember when dick came stayed at my house uh, back in 76 when i won the u.s open and uh, he really didn't even have a company at that time then to grow into you know quaker boy to to look at uh you know whether it was primos or or so many others that they got a lot of their groundwork started right here at the nwtf convention it's uh it's a rich history and it goes more to, you know, on this program, I talk a lot, Rob, about our story and our history and being able to carry that through because, quite frankly, we, as, as a community, we've lacked that. Uh, acknowledging in, in totality the bigger picture, our forefathers, if you will, and, and celebrating the culture and the rich history. Uh, this project aims to do that, have a recorded history, uh, at least this way, an audio form, sure. uh, and to resurrect some of those names and make a new generation. You know, we're, we rebranded. So my, my point is, it excites me to be somewhat of a, a historian in this yeah, aspect. Historical It's amazing. I mean... When I look back, I came to work at the Federation, February 1 of 1978. And at that time, there were just a few people in the office. In fact, it came right after there was an embezzlement of funds. And I thought, what did I just do? I left <laughs> Pennsylvania to come to South Carolina. It looks like this place is going bankrupt. <laughs> Fortunately, there were a few people on the board of directors that took care of the financial stability in those early days that paid it out of their pocket. And that's something that, you know, People need to know. I mean, I oftentimes have people say, I wish I could do what you do. I said, well, you can. 
but it didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Time away from families. Times when maybe I should have been with my kids, but I was out getting a chapter started. I remember looking at the map on my wall of the United States and thinking, it's just me at that time. And how am I going to grow this membership? How am I going to grow these chapters? And at the same time, I was actually, believe it or not, fighting against a lot of old line turkey hunters. They were against the Federation. They were against it because they said, all you're doing is put more turkey hunters in the woods. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, we are, but did you happen to notice that there's more turkeys in the woods also? And, uh, you know, we've really elevated and focused on the restoration of the wild turkey. And Earl Groves, who was one of my great mentors and to me, one of the greatest leaders the NWTF over 50 years has had. He was the one that helped put us in a way that, I guess he had a saying that went like this. People would often say, I hear you're in the conservation business. Earl would reply saying, no, we're in the business of conservation. And there's a huge difference. I remember those early days when we didn't have any money to fund that restoration. We were just going on a shoestring. But then once we developed that chapter system, the banquet program, and we developed those funds, profitability moved to the top of our strategic plan. And when you're profitable, then you can then fund lots of programs, research and management, and restoration. But it took a while and it took a lot of convincing. And those early turkey hunters that said, all you're doing is put more turkey hunters in the woods. Eventually, we won most of them over. And uh, they got to see now that, uh, you know, when I was there, there were 30 states that had turkey seasons in 78. And of course, it didn't take long till, well, the last state opened up and that was Delaware. And boy, what a story that was. I remember we started that Delaware state chapter. There were zero turkeys in the state of Delaware. And some of the states like Pennsylvania, New York, they contributed birds for Delaware to get its start. And once those birds began to expand, then we bought nets, rocket nets, trapped and transferred within the state. Eventually, that population got to the point where they were ready for a season. And Delaware Game and Fish came to us, the Federation, and asked for our input on season setting, bag limits, and all the kind of things that, that surround having a hunting season in a given state. And one of the things that Delaware did that I just thought was really superb, they said, we're appreciative of those states that gave us turkeys to give us a start. And so they had 10% of their permits, which if you wanted to turkey hunt there, you had to apply, you had to, for a drawing. So not everybody got a chance to do that, but there were 10% that were allocated to non-residents. So obviously I put in yeah. and I got drawn. <laughs> Come to find out even to this day, that non-resident section is never fully subscribed. So anyway, I got to hunt the very first season in Delaware and was fortunate enough to kill the very first turkey of modern times in the state of Delaware. Wow. And it was like, it came full circle. Yeah. I mean, it went from zero to a huntable population, then be able to participate in it. And it was that night we went and, and had a celebration at our state chapter president's home. 
had invited the biologists, all the game and fish people there. And I fried up that turkey and we <laughs> toasted into the night with wild turkey bourbon. The great partnership that we had with our volunteers, Delaware Game and Fish, and all the people that were involved in, in making all that possible. And so it has just been really a, a, an element of satisfaction throughout. I talked to so many people here. It's hard for me to walk down the aisle without talking. You know, it's hard for me to get from point A to point B because so many that are here, they remember those early days. They remember some of the struggles that we had, some of the challenges that we had. And to bring it to where we have those huntable populations in 49 states. And, uh, you know, it's just been one of those kind of things that was so fulfilling to me in a career. But more importantly, the friends that I made, the people along the way from so many different backgrounds. It just was so special. It's always interesting. Uh, I assume it's a similar experience to when I look at somebody that is of some sort of status in the world. Right. But then I learned they're a turkey hunter. All of a sudden, we're on the same playing field, and now they're now they're attainable. Yeah, I mean, I can remember when Lawton Childs, he was governor of Florida. I hunted with him and and Jim Baker, who at that time was Secretary of State, and. Uh, you know, there you had a Republican and a Democrat that turkey hunted together a lot. I lined up turkey hunts for them in Virginia so they could leave on weekends to go hunt. But <laughs> I hunted with them down in Florida where Governor Childs hosted us, hunted out at Rockpile Ranch where uh, Secretary Jim Baker uh, hunted and filmed out there. And it was so cool to have a Republican and a Democrat share this level playing field. It took all the politics out of it. And to think, you know, they came here to this convention. Lawton would come here. He had a Buddy Ebsen-style hat on. He had a World War II worn-out camouflage jacket. And if you didn't know he was the governor of Florida, you just, well, just looked like some old redneck going around trying yeah. every turkey yeah. call he could. I'll never forget, we had a chance uh, to hunt uh, numerous times. He said, look, I want to kill the grand. I want to be the first governor to kill a grand slam. I said, awesome. What do you need? He said, I just need a Miriam's. So I lined it up. We went to the UW Bar ranch out in New Mexico. And uh, anyway, killed his Miriams. He said, all right, I got to call the governor of Nebraska. Now they had a, they had a running competition <laughs> and he taught the governor of Nebraska how to turkey hunt. And they had it set up that uh, if their state's team won in football, the loser had to host the winner. So it went back and forth between Nebraska and Florida, Nebraska and Florida. Well, anyway, he killed his Miriams, called the governor, and he said, I just want you to know, Gov, he said, uh, I'm the first governor to kill the Grand Slam. <laughs> he had his bubble burst because the governor came back from Nebraska. He said, well, I just came back from Mexico and I killed my Goulds. Uh. And Lawton was just crushed. And so anyway, he hung up. He said, all right, you got to take me to Mexico next year. That January, he died, passed away, and he didn't oh. get to, to live that dream out. But oh. uh, it was really cool how those kinds of things just, they occurred, many of them, right here at the NWTF convention. The number of country music stars that donated, uh, I think on some of the opening nights, the welcome party. I mean, I think of one night with John Michael Montgomery, John Anderson, Tracy Bird, Earlene Mandrell, all of them on stage at one time. And and, uh, you know, all of it donated and uh, just the electricity that it that it created and people wanted to be part of it. I never forget Brenda 
Valentine saying, you know, you created so much excitement on that opening night. I had to go to the bathroom, but I was afraid to get up and go because I thought I was going to miss something. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a it's a special gathering that that's it's that kind of understates. And I don't and I certainly don't mean to understate what's happening here. Right. But it's I don't know what kind of superlative to put on it because it's so big from you bringing us through a timeline to where we're at today. Uh, you know, and it, as I look around, I see there's young kids walking here, uh, little babies, and there's, you know, 20 year olds walking through here. They know nothing but turkeys. They have not had, they have, they have not been without turkeys. Yeah. And that started back then. And that's why I come to our history and why it's so important because of all that you guys went through of the Bob Erickson's and the biologists that slept in the back of their vehicles to put turkeys here and there and put them in 49 states. That doesn't happen on X. Yeah. I mean, I was really fortunate uh, two years ago, auction tag came up for an Arizona Goulds. I'd kill plenty of Goulds in Mexico, but I wanted to take one in the States. So anyway, I lucked out, got the auction tag, and I was able to go back and hunt where in 1992, we brought some of those first Goulds from Sonora into Arizona, Coronado National Forest. I stayed right where the uh, quarantine facility was and had a chance to come back and hunt the turkeys that we released back then. I mean, just another self-fulfilling uh, experience that was just unbelievable. You know, I think about our Grand Nationals coming up. I'm fortunate I'm going to be able to, to MC the, the finals of the Senior Open. And, uh, you know, every year when I was here, second show of the Opry, I would take the grand new Grand National Champion on stage of the Opry. I've been on this stage of the Opry 12 different times calling turkeys and what a lot of the opry people didn't realize was that the people in the audience were all turkey people and we would get a bigger applause than any of the country stars <laughs> that came out it just blew their minds yeah. remember the first time we went out porter wagner was the host of that segment and paul butsky was the winner he was the grand national champion that year and i talked with hal durham who was manager of the opry had a cigar in his mouth and he wasn't so sure he wanted us to go up there but bud wendell the ceo of gaylord he'd given the green light so anyway they introduced porter introduced me got a big round of applause i introduced paul and the place went nuts the audience was owl hooting they were gobbling they were calling out in the audience and then paul and i we just started hitting with a call and the place just erupted come off stage and uh how took that cigar out of his mouth i won't repeat the four-letter word but he said man this turkey calling some big stuff ain't it <laughs> <laughs> and so you know we had national exposure i mean people listened to wsm the grand old opera they got to hear the nwtf all across the country yeah what a what a moment in time and and it's and it's still it's still part of this area very much so it's not gone away when so i live in new hampshire i'm a new england guy yeah very robust turkey population I won't hold that again. that's fine that's fine i don't either <laughs> new brunswick just celebrated their first turkey hunt this past spring during COVID. yeah 20 tags i believe were issued i think most of those were filled do you know how hard it was we tried to get turkeys into new brunswick we saw the habitat we checked that we knew it was good 
And uh, the dairy farmers came out against it because they said they were going to compete with their cattle for their grazing. Well, at that time, the early conventional thinking was that turkeys are going to be just limited to the southeastern part of Maine. Well, the turkeys have proven even the best professionals wrong time and time and time again. They just moved up those river valleys, went right up to the New Brunswick border, just moved right on in. And, uh, you know, it's been one of the great success stories, the adaptability of the wild turkey. When I think about places like Sudbury, Ontario, Canada, 250 inches of snow annually, and they've got turkeys there. I remember back uh, in the early days in Minnesota when uh, they said, well, turkey's only going to make like the bottom quarter, maybe third of Minnesota. I remember some years later when we were talking about turkeys in the boreal forest up on the Canadian border. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the turkeys just continued to prove even the best thinking wrong, you know, what we thought. And that was a good thing. It was a surprise to many, but uh, it was really uh, an opportunity to expand the horizons on turkey hunting opportunities. And I think it engaged people that never thought they'd ever be a turkey hunter. Now with turkeys in their own backyard, they not only wanted to hunt them, they wanted to take care of them. And, you know, wild turkey management certainly was a big part of what during my days at the Federation that we were involved in. I looked at the planning projects that our chapters were involved in, whether it was control burning, whether it was planting shrubs and trees and fruit bearing uh, uh, types of plants that would carry fruit into the winter months. There were just so many things, even out in places like the, the Dakotas where the turkeys would come into these ranch steads and they'd just ruin some of those oak straw bales. And uh, we came up with a solution for that. We paid for coverings to go over top of them so they wouldn't ruin them for the ranchers. And uh, it was really cool to see the innovations that came about with the expansion of wild turkeys, all the subspecies. Is there, this is a, this is a really big question, but I got to ask it. Is there any one memory that sticks out as you're sitting here and we're back together that, you know, if someone asks you, it just comes right to mind that you look fondly on, or has that yet even happened? Gosh, there's so many, right? So many. Uh, gosh, I'd, I'd I'd hate to think of of just one, but that's probably not I, a fair I, question. I, one that does stick in my mind, and I hear so many people that were here at this conventions when General Schwarzkopf came. It was right after the first Gulf War. He gave a speech that lasted seven minutes. Most people, if you'd ask him, said it was 30 minutes. He said more in seven minutes than you could ever say in an hour's time. But he talked about thinking big. Grow your horizons. And he said, do things that people would never expect you to do. And we embrace that as an organization. Heck yeah. Go way beyond anything you could ever do. And that Schwarzkopf memory was just one that was so special. I had Johnny Morris fly down to Florida. Johnny went down, picked him up, brought him here. That was in 95. Uh, Johnny was our honorary chairman of that convention. And, uh, man, I tell you, just that particular one, it, it not only stuck with me, but it resonated with so many of our people. 
and it allowed us to do things outside of the box. I'll never forget back when the cities and municipalities, there were 30 of them, trying to sue the gun industry out of business. And NSSF came, Bob Delphay was president of NSSF back then. He said, Rob, we need money for the heritage war chest to pay our lawyers to fight these frivolous lawsuits. I said, not a problem. I thought, okay, how am I going to go to my volunteers to get them to buy into this? And that's when I put together that without guns, you can't hunt. Without hunting, you can't fund wildlife conservation. Without wildlife conservation, you won't have wild turkeys. We raised a million and a half dollars, and that money went to that war chest. We got a bill through the House, went through the Senate, was there for the bill signing ceremony with the... President Bush in the Eisenhower room. And it was one of those things where no other conservation group did that. I won't mention names, but I went to some prominent organizations. They said, oh, we're a habitat organization. We can't give to something like that. I said, well, you know what? If Pittman-Robertson money went away, you wouldn't have a whole lot of money to play for that habitat out there. They didn't get it. We did. Our volunteers supported it. And I was so proud to present that check for a million and a half dollars to NSSF. And I was so proud to be there at that bill signing ceremony when President Bush, you know, signed that bill into law. I think about some of the times, well, with uh, President Bush during that administration, I was with him 13 different times, met with him uh, when all the conservation groups met in the Roosevelt Room in the White House. I had the right-hand seat of the President of the United States, and I was representing this organization. That's how they recognized us from the top level of this government. A lot of people don't realize that, and I've got pictures where it's in the magazine, what have you. And to have that right-hand seat of the President was really special. But we were together, I mean, in the Rose Garden, I mean, with him on the Healthy Forest Initiative, when we talked about... Uh, you know, controlling wildfires and controlled burning. I had a chance to ride with him uh, there on his ranch in Crawford, Texas. And uh, he drove the truck. We did not have a Secret Service guy with us. And he drove me all around, showed me some of the work that he was doing there on his ranch, cutting invasive cedars out. We went and looked at his 50-acre tree nursery, which had all kinds of oaks that he was planting. Then he talked about some of the history with, you know, I met with Putin over here, met with this one over there. And, you know, just some special times to think that, you know, here I am representing the National Wild Turkey Federation, sitting in the front seat with the President of the United States, and he's driving an F-150. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people don't realize the status we had back then. It's incredible. You talked about General Schwarzkopf, and it brings to mind when I'm walking through the halls of the headquarters building of all the stuff that's on those walls. And you all know there's plenty on those walls. That one, I always feel like he's looking at. Every time I walk past it, it jumps out. And I feel like it's this, uh, without being uh, quirky about it, it's this reverent moment every time I pass by it. Now, I was a boy in Gulf War One, and in 1999, I, I joined the Air Force active duty. So, yes, sir. Uh, I was I joined before the towers came down and I was in after and, you know, I, I did my time. I love what this organization does for its veterans. I love your stories. I, and it's so when I see General Schwarzkopf up on that wall, it means a lot to me. I, it was my as a boy, my first war to experience right that's a that's a hell of a thing to think about my dad 
went through Vietnam and his dad, you know, World War II, greatest generation. And here I am, 11 years old, watching CNN and George Sr., 41, on CNN and the green uh, tracer rounds in Kuwait. And it's it's mind-boggling for a little kid. And then I went to Al Jabber, Kuwait, for the 2000 switch, 99 to 2000. And I'm in these places I saw on TV. My point is, we've always, and you articulated it so well, been there for our veterans. It's going to be... I'm not tooting my horn. It's more of an honor to talk about it. I get to MC the veterans breakfast. I was, I was asked to do it. I'm over the roof. I don't know how I'm going to keep it together. I can do this all day, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And I pray to God tonight that I'm able to get through that because I know those feelings. I know that electricity you're talking about. And when the air force song hits, it's going to be real hard to hold it together. Hey, I promise you that. Let me say this. A man without tears has no heart. And if you're crying, it's just showing how big that heart of yours really is. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a little town where the VFW was the center of social life. And those veterans, they were all, of course, World War II and Korean veterans. I mean, they sponsored Little League Baseball, Midget Football, a lot of the social events there. You know, on Memorial Day, as a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout, we all went and decorated veterans' graves. I thought everybody did that. Come to find out that really wasn't done everywhere. And when I came here and I said, look, God, family, and country are going to be the center of this thing. I want to do something big. And that's when I went to the people at Winchester. I said, here's what I want to do. This is going to be our veterans breakfast. I said, my dad who fought in the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, I want to honor those kinds of guys that went out there and laid it on the line so that we can do what we're doing right here. And uh, I said, I'm going to push this envelope as far and as big as it can be. And we had so many inspirational people that came you know, from Schwarzkopf to you name it. But to have each one of those, you know, it was almost like taking communion where we had, you know, those coins that when each branch was called up and they were presented that by General Schwarzkopf or whoever happened to be up there, the tears in that room were just, I mean, you needed mops to mop up the water from people's eyes. I mean, it just, but that's what I want. It, I always felt that a convention wasn't successful if I didn't make people laugh to their guts hurt and cried till they just couldn't cry any longer. Those emotions are so important, I think. And it's something that is gone from America in so many places. People come here to almost have a religious type experience. And uh, I always felt that uh, uh, it was that kind of an experience that so many people, they couldn't find at home but they could find it here. And then they took it back to their home chapter and they replicated it there. And it happened time and time and time again. When I left the Federation 2008, we had 2,400 chapters and uh, had over a half million members. And those people embraced that so well. And uh, I just think that if we ever leave that, we've lost one of the most important elements that this, this country needs. It. That veterans breakfast for many, they said it was like taking communion in church. I, I get that. Yeah. 100%. Rock Heck, thank you so much. I could sit here for the rest of the day. Sure. I know I got other guests coming up, but sure. um, 
at some point I would love to do a much longer uh, interview and, and give you the, the time and space that this program needs. Sure. Thank you very much. Thanks. I Thanks appreciate it so appreciate much. It. Good yes, luck. sir. Thank you. Have a great convention. Yes, you as well. Enjoy the rest of it. You bet. All right, we are rolling. We're almost through our first day of interviews here in the uh, Turkey Call Access podcast, uh, what I'm terming the fishbowl. <laughs> it's really cool. I'm, I, I, I'm super stoked to have this platform literally on a platform uh, here in the convention I mean, hall. In the middle, yeah. in the middle of the room. Uh, we just uh, we just had wrapped up with Rob Keck, and now country artist Justin Adams. You just dropped a single there. He's joining us now. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I I think I'm just gonna let you talk because you got the the chops. So just go ahead and tell oh. me a story or not. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? You were just telling me off mic. First convention. So first impressions. Go. Uh, yeah, first time at the convention. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to not want to just take your time and spend an hour at every booth. You know, there's so much good stuff here. Uh, it's overwhelming, right? I, yeah, it's overwhelming, but overwhelming in a good way. You yeah. know, I love it all. I, I'm very fortunate to to be able to, li to live in Nashville and kind of so I get to see a lot of friends here and, yeah. you know, meet some people that I haven't um gotten to meet before and, and see familiar faces and i made up with turkeys man turkey hunting I, I grew up i grew up fishing in a fishing family so my dad didn't hunt um so you know we didn't hunt you know my grandpa was an upland uh, upland hunter and had an uncle that was ate up with turkey so i always grew up hearing his stories um but i was uh lucky enough last year i killed my first bird uh in kansas uh on a rio hunt with the nwtf awesome. and uh, we did a thing called gobblers and guitars out there and uh i was hooked i mean we walked in we actually got set up in the wrong spot but it ended up being in the right spot Worked we just out. was pitch the black. right spot yeah we uh well, I mean, we were hold like three, you know, three grown men in there holding hands, walking through a creek. We're like, there wasn't a, supposed to be a creek here. Like, where are we? Pitch black, walked under the roost, you know, the burr. We, we hit a, a, stepped on a limb and it snapped and all of them all just started going nuts. And from then on, I was like, yeah, no, this is insane. So I get it. Uh, I'm a hundred percent in now and I love it. So it's, it's good to be here. It is good to be here. And for us, uh, we were just talking about how this is this is a, a grand homecoming because because of the last couple of years and all the stuff that, that that's come with. But at this point, I'm kind of I have been over it. And now I'm definitely especially this point in the day in these interviews. Oh, yeah. Because now we're here and we've moved on. People are here. We're settled in. There's been a buzz. You know, people are walking away with treasures. People are coming and going and just yucking it up and having a good time, which will definitely carry over into the welcome party tonight. Uh, all the great auctions tomorrow. It's just, it's controlled chaos, yeah. which tomorrow it'll be even busier, right? Oh, yeah. um, normally rain is good shopping weather, like for the sports show, but I suspect uh, it's been thunder and lightning down here in Nashville yeah, I mean, since this morning. Were, they were canceling schools because of the yeah. chance of tornadoes, which that's, oh, is that that's right? Nashville for you. Oh, there you I go. grew up in so, Oklahoma, so you know, growing up, if a tornado siren was going off, you walked outside to see if it was actually real or not. Is it really there? Is it, uh, well, actually, yep, that's there. That's there. We probably should take cover. Uh, my dad is a nut. He still chases tornadoes and texts pictures. Oh, I just, I, I you know, came up on the backside of this 
F3 running out pretty oh cool. And I'm gosh. like, dude, you're going to die. Like, you're not a meteorologist, <laughs> man. Like, what are you doing? Uh, we, you know, growing up, my brother and sister and I, we, we would hop in the truck or hop in the station wagon and uh, obviously no seatbelts. Clearly, why would you wear one, oh, especially course. with a tornado warning yeah. uh, and the chance and actually a tornado on the ground. So, yeah, we uh, we had some pretty bad storms here today and uh, I think they're about to pass. And it's cool. Like, I feel the inner. It's a good energy, man. I feel like, you know. We spent the past two years in this pandemic and all these things and music industry was especially hit hard because yeah. touring, because you have, you know, you've got city, state, county, federal regulations, four very moving parts that are all changing all the time. So to book tours and things, we just was so difficult and shows getting canceled all over the place. But being here now, you feel like, you know, we're good. I think we're back to normal. Obviously, you know, COVID's still around, but, you know, I, I, in terms of morale and excitement yeah. and, and things like that, it, it's definitely good to see it. It's, it's very, uh, I just learned to live with it and move on man right, i mean that's yeah. that's exactly where we're at so you're not going to uh you're not going to eliminate it and life has to go on yeah and it's good and uh, we are moving on and i'm glad to uh be here in the first day and check it out and kind of like a kid in a candy store man just yeah you know going all the camo places all the i mean i seeing all the mounts everywhere yeah. yeah it's it's awesome anything uh you're particularly stoked to see or or search out or have you have you gotten there yet i want to see the new uh the new line of nomad gear they've got rolling in yeah, just over <laughs> yonder yeah, just over there um you know I, jason has, has been a, a, a hilarious <laughs> guy to get to know recently and um i'm just you know i just taking it all in one one kind of side at a time make I love sure you sit in that new vest he put together oh, they, yeah the new vest i haven't seen it yet oh my gosh i had the one from last year yeah man. which i kind of just want to wear like you know, around, but then you sit in this one. I'm, I'm this telling one. you. All right, I'm, I'm, I'll go check it out. Uh, uh, Hart and I, we uh, when we relaunched this podcast, I went down to to his place and we caught up, and you know, we hung out for a little bit. And he's like, uh, "He said, Fred, I want to show you the new Turkish stuff." Yeah. And he's like, "Man, go ahead and sit in that." And I sat, and I was like, "Holy hell!" I'm not getting up. Yeah, why would and you? This thing's fantastic. You should just take the couch out of your house, and you're just like, no, it's just my turkey chair. I'm just gonna sit in this. Make sure you get time. over there. He'll be happy <laughs> to see you. Um, I I like what you just said there. You know, given your quick bio, because I too share a similar story, right? Didn't grow up in a turkey. I didn't grow up hunting anything. It was fishing. I, I, I didn't either. Fishing. We All fishing. fished. I remember one time going rabbit hunting, but like we didn't go deer hunting. So so let me ask you this. What was the turning point for you? How did you come to it? I think getting, man, there's a lot of things. One, I think it's just really big in the industry that I'm in. Yeah. So I've really connected. And obviously, I, I mean, we grew up outside. Like we grew up, you know, catching frogs and fishing and, and building yep. tree forts and all that stuff. I'm thankful that I grew up in that generation where I didn't have a cell phone. And, yep. you know, so there was nothing other to do to play outside. So I was, I'm always just a lover of outdoors. And I think it just evolved. And now having all my friends like shit, like, excuse me, I don't know. It's all good. Um, like, wow, everybody's deer hunting. Everybody's bird hunting, doing all these things. And I, and I was lucky to have um, some very, very close friends that were like hard into deer hunting. Get me into that. And then got to meet, you know, Pete, Pete Muller at NWTF and a lot of these guys here. And they've got me big time into turkey hunting. So it's like one little piece at a time moving into it. And the biggest thing that one thing that has evolved for me um, just growing up as an adult, as a man, like having a wife, having a son is I love the fact that I can provide for my family. Yeah. Taking something off, you know, killing something or harvesting, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And, and basically just I can put food on my plate. And it's out there. It's in the abundance of what we're able to do. You know, God created these beautiful 
landscapes and animals for us to, to, to take and, and feed our families. And I've found so much value in that. And I, and I'll t- it's a, it's an ongoing joke with Pete and those guys. I, I, I really don't care if I shoot a big buck or not. I'll say it right now. Doesn't bother me. I, I'm, do I'm a meat hunter, and I'm gonna mount. No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm I'm gonna do euro mounts on all my does, and just have a wall of just dull <laughs> yes, scows everywhere. I love it, dude. Um, but man, I, I I find such value in, you know, gutting gutting the deer myself. Uh, you know, cleaning it out, skinning it, butchering it, and I and I've you know went to college and majored in movement and exercise science and kinesiology. So I've learned the muscle group. They're different, but they're equally the same. Um, so you know how to really break. So man, it's, yeah, I've just taught myself and I love it. I love going, let's not just grind this entire deer in a burger, man. What can we do? We can do as much stuff as you want. It is, you know, endless. And, uh, and I've just found value kind of becoming a wild game chef and doing those things. And I I love that aspect. So I'm hooked on that and, you know, being able to provide for my family and especially my son now is, uh, two years old. He loves venison. I, I want to raise him to hunt and, and all those things. And we have a big, big garden behind our house. So uh, going out and picking all our fresh veggies and herbs and all that as well. So it's just, it's been uh, kind of this full circle kind of uh, purposeful um, kind of, you know, responsibility. I there's, feel like I have now. There's power in independence, right? Mm-hmm. There's power in self-sufficiency. 100%, man. I don't need to go to the store to buy meat. No. I've got a f- freezers full of, you know, deer and I'm fortunate that I got buddies that love to go out and kill a couple elk a year. So they're yeah. like, Hey, do you want like a hundred pounds of elk? I'm like, uh, uh yeah, yeah. please do Yeah, load me up. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, it's you, and you said you grew up, you didn't grow up hunting either. No, man. I, uh, so my story goes a little something like this, right? I, I always wanted to, yeah, and I always thought we were too poor. So okay. I never wanted to imposition my parents and put them in that spot to say no and either explain it or just have this unspoken understanding of why, right? So now years later, I found out that wasn't the case. And if I had asked, they would have taken me, but try to be a good son. So I'd always buy the hunting digests, right? The rule book, I'd study and I'd study. And I loved loved, uh, wildlife biology. And then, you know, I'd sit there and eat up David Attenborough and all kids are watching you know, whatever freaking Saturday morning cartoons, I'm, I'm sitting there PBSing it and, you know, yeah, learning about. This is the moment. This is what was accident. That's exactly the right. worst David Attenborough accident on the planet. That's I'm exactly sorry. right. I'll get it. So, I'll get it. I'll get it. And when I was in the the Air Force, I went to. Well, thank, you. Uh, Before, uh, thank you for your service, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, for I, sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, the gal I was with was from southeastern Ohio. And that's where I cut my teeth on hunting. She's like, uh, brother-in-law wants to take you on a deer it's hunt. Pretty and, decent spot. To and start. it's only a five-day season. <laughs> like five days. Oh, okay. And there's freaking deer running everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I killed a nice fat doe, 140 pounds, and it was awesome. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in on this. Yeah, yeah. I finally made it happen. Bought a, bought a shotgun, and it just. I just needed that one person, right? And that's kind of the common thread, just the one person that was willing to entertain you or at least put you in a position to be somewhat successful and and show you a couple things and then let it completely consume you. And then, you know, just start reading. But I mean, back then, even in, in 2002, like there wasn't a whole lot of YouTube no, wasn't or even a thing that yet. didn't even exist. Yeah. It, I don't even think MySpace existed at that point. Um, you learn through, you, you kind of had some, the same thing. It's just doing research, hard work yeah. and diligence pay off. And you put, you kind of have skin in the game on it. And you're like, no. I've invested myself and it's a little more meaningful at that point. The, the turkey hunting didn't come till a few years later when I just, again, got so consumed. Yeah. That is one to hunt everything. And oh, I didn't dude, have same. kids. And I'm like, well, 
I can I can go out literally almost every other day and hunt something in New Hampshire because coyote season's open all the time. I'm oh, like, yeah. I don't care. I'll go hunt coyotes just to be outside. And uh, once I started turkey hunting, I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Right. I don't much care about the deer game. And I'm like you. I don't care what walks by. I drive some of my buddies back home nuts. are like, you know, we got really good deer on this this farm or this farm. I don't really give a shit. Uh, because I mean, I if it comes through, I'll probably shoot it, but I don't care. I'm not going to pass on something yeah, else. That's exactly right. You know, that cliche, if you pass on, uh, would you, would you, what the hell is it? Don't pass on the first day, would you kill on the last day? No, I'm the opposite. I, if I'm going on a hunt for seven days and I see something walk by on day one, I'm going to shoot it and then I'm going to drink and hang out for the that's last exactly six days. That's exactly right. I'm uh, tagging out because I don't like, I mean, I get like that experience. Everybody's different. There's no judgment. It's not good one way or another. That's just your personal preference. hundred percent. you know, I think you just have, we have to understand as humans to respect either one. Yeah. You know? So I have buddies that are like, no, I have buddies that are purist. They only bow hunt and they only hunt. And they only shoot something over 160. Sure. So if they shoot a 165, they can't shoot something under a 165 the next year because they feel like they got to tuck their tail. But I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, I got to get something bigger, something bigger. I'm like, well, you're going to run out eventually. <laughs> yeah, they, like, they don't get much bigger. But they don't hunt for meat. And that's okay. Yeah. They're trophy hunters. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and my very best friend on the planet, a guy named Dirk Albright, he, he, uh, he's the one that got me into the hunting. And I give him crap all the time because he's like, yeah, I saw some pretty big deer. I had a you know 12-point walk by. I just didn't shoot. It wasn't big enough. I'm like, what? That. What do you, but I'm like, well, it's you do you, man. Yeah, I'm, that's exactly not for me right. to say what's you know one way or another. But I see the doe walk out, bump, done. Oh, yeah, I, yeah I'm good. I, I got my meat. Yep, exactly right. Uh, and you know, even to that end, I've kind of taken it a step further myself in the last couple of years, where I stopped putting cameras out. Yeah, because I didn't want to know. That's that's a good. That's I a cool way to do it, know, man. Because now, if I know, and, then, and I've talked to people about this, and again, this is personal, right? This is the like you said, you do you. I'm not telling people not to use cameras. I'm not advocating yeah, for that. Are phones are going bing, 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 yeah. bing, bing, all day long. But for me personally, I was riddled with anxiety and stress because I knew what was out there, and I was like, well. I'm committed. And how pissed would you be if you didn't see your target deer? How was that? How pissed would you be if you didn't see your yeah, target right. deer? That's the whole point. Right? I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time. He's never coming by. Meanwhile, walk by. He's, always, walk he's still by. nocturnal. He's still nocturnal. What the heck? Yeah. And then I, uh, my wife pointed out to me, she's like, you know, you started doing this for the love of it. And you always come home happy no matter what. And now you come home and you're just angry. Yeah. She's like, why don't you just stop? I'm like, well, I don't want to stop. You should probably not play golf. I'm just, just yeah, I can't play golf. <laughs> not a golfer. Got a hell of a long game, but that yeah, yeah. thing really gets to me. So I was like, I'm not going to change the hunting. I'm going to change how I hunt. Yeah. That's such a and good way to look at it. And then stop giving a shit. Yeah. Because it ultimately came down to, I'm not getting sponsored. I don't have a TV show. I don't owe anybody anything. And it's just whatever your expectations are as a hunter, man. It's been more fun. It's been more enjoyable. So when I hear guys like you talk, I'm like, that's my man. Right? Yes, we're on the same page. But I don't begrudge anybody for having standards. No. And I love, I love it, man, because, you know, growing up not hunting, obviously my mom, like, um, she'll come in and say, oh, I don't like deer. It's gamey. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Now we're going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to change your mind. Yeah. Let's fix this back. You never had my it brother, the right. same thing. You've never had it the right way. So I'm loving the other side of the, you know, the cooking process as well to learn like, well, you're just probably wasn't cut and clean, right? It wasn't processed correctly. And it just wasn't cooked, you know, the way it's supposed to be, but. We can talk forever about wild game cooking. Dude, I and all like that it because I'm the same way. I yeah. break my own stuff down. Oh, dude, it's awesome. It's it's work. It is and, work, but I mean, shit, what else are you going to do? Get on Instagram and scroll or watch TV? Well, yeah, we got kids. I got kids uh, now, yeah. and it's hockey this, dance that. So it's just, 
it gets time consuming with travel, but I still own the process. I cleaned my first bear this year. Oh, dude, no I way. used to take the bear uh, to the butcher because I was scared of the fat content because I was always yeah. told if you don't do it right, you're going to ruin the whole thing. So it freaked me out. I was like, wait a second. I can do this. You know, this is, you're only going to uh, find out. It's, a, it's the same thing. So I sat there and cleaned all it off and I've been eating and I'm like, Yep. It's no different from killing a deer in August and killing a deer in January. They're just going to have more fat on you. Just turn it off. The good thing about bear fat is you can uh, rent. I've heard guys render it down and I you do. can make bear grease and all that. Dude, yeah. it's great. I uh, I use it for, for cooking or whatever. I'm hungry, dude. Huh? Thanks a lot. I'm hungry yeah, now. Yeah, me too. God. What yep. time is it? Five o'clock? Yeah. So, no, I... I uh, I get I get reinvigorated when I hear people yeah. like like I'm saying. You know what's funny is I, I've gotten to be um, I've started to kind of make a name for the wild game chef cooking thing. It just happened very very spont- spontaneous. Like I didn't yeah. I wasn't trying. You know, I, I, just being a creative person, being a songwriter and an artist. Like I feel like for me personally, like create creativity doesn't stop in just one spectrum no. vacuum. Like it's very very wide. Sure. It's just, why did you want to take it? And I find kind of beauty in that that you can find creativity, whether it's painting, sculpting, writing, you know, all these different things, making, doing a jewelry, doing clothes. And I have found another creative outlet in cooking. And I've gotten to be friends with uh, a bunch of very, very well-known wild game chefs across the country that are doing awesome things. And yeah. we've gotten to be buddies and it's, it's so good learning from them. But out of the two that are like my, my super good buds and are tight, like in there, like I was kind of afraid, like, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I was afraid to go in and say like, I didn't grow up hunting. Huh? Yeah, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm a late, I'm a late in life hunter. I'm an adult hunter, and both of them straight up went, "Oh no, no, yeah, we're the same. We didn't grow up hunting. Don't feel shame. There's no shame in this." That that whole it thing has be. been changing over the yeah. last handful of years, and it's again one of these things that's overdue. But I'm glad the there's a, a cultural shift. Yeah, and uh, it's it's allowing more people to come into our ranks. And, you know, some people may say that's a double-edged sword because now you're putting more people in the woods and in our turkey fields and we're competing for spots. Okay, that may be true, um, but look at the power all those voices that you're bringing to our fold are gonna provide us. You know, we're talking this week about healthy Yelp and having people log on and, and donate to Turkey Research and then become members and bring more members in. Like the value and the power behind that donation or your membership, it's not just to get a magazine. Yeah. It, it You are a voice and you are counted. And when you go to Washington, D.C. and for policymaking. And there's a, there's that, a lot of there's power. There's and a then, lot of stuff going on right now, too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then. You know, we someone was in here earlier talking about you know if, if this one group has four million, and this one group's got ten thousand, who are the politicians listening to? Yeah. Listen to the four million because the four million people freaking vote. They don't really give a, a, a rip one way or the other on the the conservation standpoint. They probably don't care, but they care about the four million votes. So that's why you know we keep bolstering our numbers and you know folks like you who who speak directly to a completely different market and audience. Right, this is this right here is a niche market yeah. like it's a pure show it's a pure audience you know what you're getting here but someone like yourself you run the gamut man your fans people that are logging on following you listening to your music downloading music coming to your shows and you get out there and you're wearing an nwtf hat or you got a you got something that non-verbally communicates your interests and your passion oh yeah and they start looking like oh if he's doing it maybe it may inspire and it and it always happens that way yeah and um, i think taking uh taking pride in that. And I've, I've very much done that as, um, and I don't know if maybe if that's something that comes just getting older, I don't know, maybe, yeah. you know, having a kid now and, and wanting to teach him and provide for him and do those things. 
as well as a wife. But uh, yeah, it's it's being prideful in that and not being afraid to have your voice be heard. I wish there was a more Teddy Roosevelt's in office, but unfortunately, it just is what it is. But I think there's, uh, I think more than ever, um, you know, silence is is not becoming an option for a lot of people, and I think a lot of people are starting to talk. And I, I'm, you know, that's a plus side of social media that you can do that and you can stretch your audience and stretch your numbers out. Yeah. So, um, I do think that there's some pretty big wins that we uh, need to be very, you know, conscious of and pat, pat ourselves on the back yeah. as outdoorsmen and hunters and fisher and you know and women as well in this industry, which are growing immensely and it's incredible seeing the women that are getting out there and doing doing it as well. But um, yeah, I'm excited about. It. So we were on stage this morning at the rendezvous and we had uh, Ashley and Darrell Smith of uh, Minority Outdoor Alliance yeah. and. Something you know, I've been beating a drum for for over a decade is going into going into Nashville, going into cities. I mean, this is it's kind of a right market, but like going into Boston, right? And then Boston's got these subs, uh, Dorchester, Roxbury, like all these rough and tumble concrete jungles. I bet there's people in any of those places I just ripped off that would love to go shoot a turkey. Hundred percent. I would love to go shoot a deer or some mallard. They just need a conduit to it, and. We are doing that now as a community in, in, in a whole, but our organization specifically is making a point and then working with people like the Smiths I just talked about and, and providing support, whatever that's financial or or in volunteerism and you know that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna build it up, man. And that's how you start changing people's minds. Cause I think I think once you start making making it more of a diverse audience and everyone just isn't like this meme yeah right the, the fud oh yeah we're not a bunch of fuds do you think that and maybe i kind of have a theory about it and i don't know maybe it's always been like this maybe people have always wanted to do that and connect with it or have we become so inundated with technology and screens that more people are starting to reach for natural landscape I'm more hoping, out, you know things like that i'm with you and i and i i'm hoping that we're hitting this apex right, right. and we're getting ready to go the other it's side it's too fast there's too much man I, I feel personally a disconnect between a lot of things and have to <laughs> table turkey calling all over it's like a tar center when people are just yeah. ripping bad guitars <laughs> yeah. um but you know i feel uh just more longing to be connected to the earth and, you know, want to get outside and do those things. And I think it, I a hundred percent know for a fact that it's because there's so much screen time yeah. for me, you know, and yeah. obviously my job having to do social media and, and all those things, which I love. And it's a great tool for me to use in my, in my, my, in my job. It's just one of those like, Oh man, I'm reading more. I'm going outside more. We're gardening more, we're, you know, all those things. So I, I hope there's a shift, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that there's a there's a there's a movement happening and it's it's and it's fired up and it's happening. Yeah. Uh, that that silver lining we keep referencing over the last two years is people going outside. Right. I mean, you've seen it in, in record uh, tags and license sold. And there and, and a lot of them are staying. So I, I think the the puzzle a lot of agency directors are trying to solve was how do we retain them? Like, well, we've been trying to, you know, show you R3 for right, years, yeah. you know, not saying we told you so, but. Here you are. Kind of should have had this in the, in the at the ready, but nevertheless, we're here. So here's how you can do it. And we're still figuring out better ways. And I think it's been an awesome learning moment in our history to know like what motivated those people to get out besides from being cloistered and shut off from their families. But like they found value in something and it was a different value than than traditional audiences, right? Yeah. And if you're not paying attention to that, you're, you're not doing your job. For sure. 
I think we're all learning. I think that's one thing we have to just always remind Possibly. ourselves. We're all, we're all humans and no one's got it figured out. But I think that, uh, there's a lot of like-minded people that are, that are going to start, uh, working together on some pretty cool things and just continue to make, uh, opportunities for, you know, men, women, youth, uh, all over the place to get outdoors. And to your point, shoot, shoot a turkey. Cause dude, up until two years ago, I didn't have the itch. I didn't have the fever. And I'm talking about turkey hunting, not anything medical. So just clear, clear that up. I, I have a very good friend and mentor that once told me turkey hunting uh, kids ear muffet uh, is the most fun you can have with clothes on. Right. And 100% true. I agree. And I think we got what? Two months till season here kicks off. Less. You guys kick no, in early. We, I don't start till April 2nd. Our start. I don't start technically in certain states till mid to end of April. But Dude, then, Tennessee's nuts. It's a wild west. You know how many deer we can kill a deer a year here? You get two bucks and you can shoot three doe a day. A day? A day through the whole season, That's brother. a lot of work. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to, but you can hey, shoot yeah. 400 deer in a year. Well, I mean, so... That brings up a fun point to talk about that I, I for I, one tag you don't have to buy additional tags. That's one. Just hammer. That's that's a that's an umbrella tag, man. We we were talking about uh Hart was here yeah, and yeah. Tussie were here. And we we're I gotta go see that. We were talking about, you know, the 49 States Super Slam. Is that a responsible thing for us all to be pumping up and getting everybody out there putting pressure on the resource? Uh, and it's it's worth it's worth a consideration in talking about. I'm not committed to that idea yeah. because selfishly I wanna go. I want to see all these beautiful places right. and if I can kill a turkey at the same time. Yeah. Um, cause there's, there's life experiences there, but I don't know. So anyway, just because you can kill how many deer a day? Three. Three. Doesn't mean you should. No. Doesn't mean you have to. No. Oh, geez. I'm pro. Yeah, what's, uh, what's up for your spring while well, we still have some time? Yeah. So I've got a, I just put out a, a new single a couple weeks ago called damn good life. Uh, that's out on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you can get music. Um, uh, I, I literally just last night recorded four brand new songs in the studio. Yeah. I start uh, singing vocals on Monday on those, getting those wrapped up. I'll have a new single coming out here uh, in less than a month or about a month. Uh, and then just continuing to put music out, man. I'm excited for the, I kind of, I, I kind of had a moment of, of, you know, I don't know self-reflection kind of gut check moment at the top of the year. And I was like, man, I, I've, I've been in, I've been very fortunate to be in this business and make a living for over a decade. And, you know, got to a point where, you know, COVID was hard on us. Uh, and, you know, it's hard not to take, you know, kind of an angry, jaded, cynical approach to it. And I, I, I was, I, I had a moment, I had a, a fork in the road and I was like, I mean, it's you're either going to go one way or you're going to go the other. You can stay down that road of cynicism and jaded and, and be pissed off and be the guy no one wants to hang out with. Like, but you can shift and be the guy who did this and got in this because they love music. And I love country music. This is fun. Like I got into this because this is fun. And I was like, I wasn't having fun anymore. And I, and I came to this moment of like, all right, well, something needs to change. And I kind of restructured my entire team, kind of hit everything down to nothing and, and starting from the ground up. And, you know, out of that, out of this moment of self-discovery and, and kind of soul searching, I, I, I finally came to a moment of like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to write the music I want to write and sing the music I want to sing. And just to the core of me be Justin Adams as a country music singer. And I grew up on honky tonk ass country music living in Oklahoma. So I'm really, you know, taking pride and ownership and in, in, in kind of having this unapologetic approach, you know, a mentor of mine told me a, a very simple, he asked me one simple question. He goes, what do you have fun doing? And I was like, wow, fun. Wow. We're supposed to have fun in this, right? I was like, man, you know, 
being it playing con- country ass cowboy honky tonk neon yeah. music man so yeah. i've been my entire life he said do that be that that's who you do are that. lean into it hard and you know and another i read a quote um and it was why do racehorses wear blinders because they're worried about nothing other than running their race run your race but not somebody else's so i'm taking a full-on super fun awesome approach to this you know going back to me and, and kind of finding the roots of me and finding the heart of who i was as an artist and it's cowboy it's honky tonk cowboy neon country music that's kind of what i call it but, <laughs> I so it. i've got a bunch of i've got five new singles coming out over the next six seven months and then i'm going to take a breather and i've got a, another kind of cool idea that i'm going to go um back to oklahoma back to my roots and i'm going to write a record around that and then so that should be coming out i kind of want that rack of guns that that guy's walking around with right now but uh, i'm going to do an ep this fall uh, out of those songs put a couple christmas songs out and just keep it rolling cool man so yeah but Congrats. i'm excited and then i'm gonna uh, get in the woods as much as i can until turkeys yeah dude awesome but man thank you for having me buddy it's yeah a, it's man we good, got good some extra time so it's great getting yeah, to know Fred, you thanks for stopping you. by you too buddy and uh enjoy the rest of the convention thanks man we'll see welcome you. you bet hey y'all i'm jason hart founder of nomad hunting clothing nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the national wild turkey federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy fred bird at nomad we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life for locally sourced organic meat or to socialize with friends to uphold your favorite family traditions we're with you and we do the same at nomad we understand your gears and investments so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter tested in the real world and designed to last hunting is in all of us nomad is with you turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com from decoys and calls to apparel boots and blinds plus sportsman's guide has much more than just hunting gear from fishing camping and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com slash conservation. Josh Bagwell stepping into the Turkey Call All Access Podcast Fishbowl. Brett Ledoux is walking by. Did you just call? I did. Did you replace? Uh, Mid finals. So you're going to be in the finals? Finals Saturday, yep. One of the finest callers in all of America, right man. there, Vermont man. What's going on? See, you still made the podcast without actually coming in. Nice. So I like it. This is good social distancing, right? Yeah, now. yeah. Except for I'm not going to stop. Josh, welcome, man. Appreciate you being here. Hey, thanks for having how's, me. Uh, how's convention treating you? It's good. It's good. I just got to make my first lap around. It's yep. looking good. Missed it last year, so. Yep. Uh, wait. I've been asking everybody, what, what are you seeing? What's out there? I haven't really got a chance to walk out. What's uh, jumping off the page at you? Oh, man. I, I mean, I like coming to see the new products. We didn't get to have it last year, you know, so it um, it's cool to get to see what we didn't see last year. But I've been looking at the Reaper boats over here. Oh, um, yeah? You're yeah. going to buy a boat? Oh, yeah. I've got I've got one now, but I'm, I'm in the market for another yeah. one. And, so um, Zach Randall, he's a duck hunter or more. what's? Yeah, yeah. Big, big duck hunter. You like that more than turkey hunting? Um. I you can know. say yes. It's okay. No, I, I like them both about the same. I, I love chasing turkeys. Is that turkeys, possible? I don't. I don't I know. I feel like both uh, 
We're always talking about being nice to each other in this space, and here I am getting ready to like draw a line right now. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat. I just... feel like you can't be equal parts duck or turkey because you got to be a psycho on one or a psycho on the other. All right, I'm a psycho on on the duck spectrum, I guess. But yeah, I, I'm I'm a public land hunter. Um, I've got a place out in Arkansas, and I spend almost the whole season out there. So um, you get to hunt the flooded timber, right? Hunt the flooded timber. One of the um, only states I've yet to get to in this great nation of ours. I've been to almost all of them. Well, you come on out anytime. I What's that? Talk to me about the 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 uh, appeal and the lure. I mean, is it just because there's water everywhere and those birds just dump in? And everywhere you look, you're 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 engaging. Yeah, I mean they 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 love it. They when when they get fresh water in those trees, it's got I mean fresh food and it's just a fresh look for them. And um, there's there's nothing prettier than seeing a volley of birds drop down through the Arkansas timber and just. Does that ever dry up? Oh yeah, yeah, it dries. It does. Um, I know nothing about it. So a lot of them um, are managed by fish and wild, like the the, the game of fish. Yeah. Um, they they manage the water levels. They only put water in the trees oh. during season. Um, and some of the a lot of the um, NWRs are um, naturally flooded. They only flood if the river gets out. So, um, so they got dams or whatever that they they open them up and let the put, water. They put boards in um, huh. in the drainage system and and block the water up. Um, so, but they, they, they put it in and try to get it back out as, as quick as possible after season, usually. Um, so it doesn't damage the trees. Um, what, they, uh, what are you guys knocking out of the air? Mostly mallards. Mallards. Yeah. See, this is, this is the problem, right? That's all I have in New Hampshire. That's where I'm from in New Hampshire. Yeah. So I used to be, before I had kids, I'd hunt everything I could that I could occupy my time with. And it was always mallards. I got bored. I was I like, I, I'm watching buddies kill canvas back and pintail and ringnecks and just cool ducks. And yep. I'm like, I, if I had more variety, I'd be totally stoked on it. And then I tell people like you that. Yeah. And you're like, dude, that's great. Oh, and you got black ducks. It's like the black mm-hmm. duck capital of the world. Like, yeah, yeah they're everywhere, too. Well, it's, it's crazy. You know, you, you speak to different people that that hunt different areas or grow up in different areas and um and birds that don't mean anything to me. Like I like I don't even shoot at a wood duck. Yeah. But there's people that'll travel from the other side of the country to come kill a wood duck. Yeah. And to me, that's my I'm like, I don't know about that, but um I'll shoot are, a wood duck. I think they're cool. Yeah. We get them early season and then as soon as uh the first skim of ice gets on up there. Yeah, they're they're everywhere in Georgia where I'm originally from and um we see a ton of them in Arkansas and um there's always a big debate whether you should be shooting at them or not. But, really? Yeah. That's interesting to me. People don't like people don't like when you shoot at wood ducks when you're hunting in the Arkansas timber. Really? Um, so it's like some sacrilege thing, huh? No, it's not really a religious thing. It's, it, it, they feel like it puts too much pressure on the mallards, and that's what people come to Arkansas for. Oh, they to, don't want to waste the, the shot. They don't want to waste the shot, these. and they don't want to waste the pressure. You know, God. they hear they hear mallards hear you shooting at a group of wood ducks they just it turns them off i see so So the value system is on the greenheads not on the wood ducks and if you're making noise you're scaring the valuable duck away everybody comes to arkansas to shoot greenheads in the in the timber that's just interesting so like the black duck conundrum for me i can't tell the difference between them and a head mallard so i never killed one Really? And it bugs people that are doing their going for their duck slam, right? Yep. I got a buddy out in Washington State that uh, helps people get their Harleys, their their lower forty eight Harley. Yeah. And he's like, "Man, you got lots of black ducks over by you." I said, "Yeah, but I know there's a way to tell. I think it's a, in the wings, the silver. I I can't. When they're up, all I see is just a silhouette, and I'm like, I'm not going to shit. 
some of them, some of them are really, really dark in color, and you can really tell those apart. But Up close you can, but when they're twenty plus feet up, I'm like tapping out. Yeah, whatever, just shoot them off. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, tell me about the the crazy turkey hunter you then. How'd you come to get to to do on that? Is that a lifetime thing or? So I grew up. Um, my dad and my uncle owned a sporting goods store growing up. Oh, cool. Um, it's called JJ Grizzly. It used to be in my hometown. It's called Calhoun, Georgia. Um, that was like um, pinnacle for a kid. I, I rode the school bus every day after school to my dad's sporting goods store. And um, my granddad, he grew, I mean, he spent his whole life traveling all over the country hunting. And uh, my dad and uncles followed suit. And naturally, I did too. And um, it's, it's been, I, I grew up, I mean, I killed my turkey when first turkey when I was a little bitty kid. And, it's awesome. It's just, it's a. So Georgia lets kids go out. It's yeah. good. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, through these conversations, it's just stuff like. People, I think people assume you know because you work for the organization. There's mm-hmm. so much information. So, yeah. I that's why I like these conversations. I start to learn. So, like in New Hampshire. I started bringing my kids out at four and five. Yeah. And my daughter shot her first long beer at five. My son shot his at six. And But then you go next door to Maine, and you're going to be 12. Oh, like your really? kids can go out, but they can't pull the trigger until they're 12. Really? I yeah. Know, and there's a lot of other states that are like that, which is a bummer, man. Because no, the kids want to get in involved. Yeah. I mean, where I'm from, that's if great. You're, if you're big enough to pull the trigger, pull there it. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's cool, man. I yeah. mean, that's, that's what I grew up doing. And, um, I love it. I mean, my passion for the outdoors is is everything. So, all right. So, how does that how's that parlay into what you do professionally? Um, that gives me all the inspiration in the world for my songwriting and stuff. Yeah. And, um, it helps me tell who I am um, through my music and and things like that. Um, being in the woods and being at duck camp and being at turkey camp and deer camp and all that. That's just that's where I find myself and that's where I clear my head and get inspiration for songwriting and. Yeah. Um, just all the noise is shut off it is all the 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 noise noise. i've learned the older i've got too to be able to go and put myself in these places and and really decompress and um forget about everything else so that's part of your process that's part of my process you're getting ready to write without that process it's i lose myself really i mean you need to yeah you get when i if i get in a songwriter block the the first thing i do is i go spend some time in the woods and clear my head it does too because all of this foolishness and the buzzing like i this watch i like my watch but the stupid thing buzzes all the time like i put this away but i can't get away from it exactly and it's like golly and it's just constant distraction 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 yep it's uh it's a reprieve from all the foolishness that for some reason we tolerate i don't know why yeah. justin and i were just talking about this like this this addiction to to screens and technology and and we're both we both agree i think we're coming to an apex in it yeah and people are starting to go over the other side uh which is why they're looking at organizations like the nwtf and how can i hunt and how can i get outside more how can i get recentered you know um it's important as human beings to to be outside it is uh it's so important to be able to unplug from from the social life and, yeah. and just all that too. It, um, I didn't realize how important it was until the last few years. You know, it's just been, that's something that I do. If I go on vacation somewhere, I'm at duck camp or wherever I'm at, I, I, I put my phone somewhere and I just, I leave it. 
If, yeah. if my wife or kid needs to get in touch with it, they'll find me. Yeah, yeah. But. So uh, same question I posed to him, I'm gonna pose to you, is, is someone that obviously has a following, has a fan base, you know, how do you how do you balance that? Because it's not easy because it's, it's part of making money. Yeah, it's it, self-promoting. Um, that's, it's just, it's one of the necessary evils to stay in touch um with like through social media but it's 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 a great thing you know um i i love it and i hate it i love the part of it to to be able to interact with with other people and to um to learn about other people and for them to see what i got going on i'm glad they're interested in it um and i guess that's where i find the balance is it's I, it's a blessing to me that somebody won't cares enough to to be following me and, and want to know what i'm doing so, yeah um which again the, the audience is hearing this and it's kind of repetitive but for our purposes it puts you in a unique position to really shape opinions and 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 bring new people to to bear um that's no small feat and it's not uh, a responsibility taken lightly you know i i'm fortunate i get to meet a whole lot of people doing this part of my job uh hockey players football players country stars i i enjoy having this part of the conversation with those kind of people because it's not just me talking to you know like preaching to the choir right Mm -hmm. because everyone in here gets it but I don't have a large following of turkey hunter or anybody else. It's all turkey people because we all feed off each other. But you're in a unique position where like one one hat or shirt or something that, you know, uh, non-verbally communicates your passions could inspire somebody. You know, a, a lyric in your song that connects a, a memory or has memory recall that someone's, you know, uh, growing up. And they never hunted, but they remembered a time that their grandfather and uncle, you know, and it, and it stayed with them. And all of a sudden, hey, now I got an interest. Sure. That, I mean, and that's that's what we that's what I strive for as a songwriter, um, especially nowadays is um, writing stuff that, you know, first and foremost that I feel stuff that I've been through, stuff that I'm passionate about. And it's, it's wild to see um, the amount of people that gravitate towards that and the, the amount of people that have, man, I've been through that too. Or, you know, I'm going through that now or um, this brought back this memory, just like you just say, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's really cool to see that. And um, that's what we strive for as songwriters is to, to be able to touch people in those ways and to be able to have that kind of connection with people. So you traveling Turkey Hunter, you like to get around or you stay right, right around home? No, I travel. Where I are you travel. headed next? Um, Anything planned I, for this? spring i just applied friday for my um turkey license out in south dakota oh nice so hopefully hopefully i've got some good friends out there that i've um that i've met and um, i go out and play music for them every year at a a big fishing tournament they have and um they own a lodge called north stream outfitters pheasant hunting and um just all those people out there they become like family to me and um so that's that's probably the furthest i'll travel this year for a turkey but um obviously all the states around here georgia tennessee kentucky yeah hit them all so it's fun man i love it It doesn't stop and then this only feeds the obsession right this is our kickoff to all of it because once we're once we're through this especially with you guys down here you guys are opening up within weeks yep that's awesome yep where where are you hunting first georgia it'll open in georgia first and then um here in kentucky open around the same times and um pretty much the same 
Aprilish for um, for South Dakota. So one one state around here harder to hunt than the others. I've never hunted these states. Kentucky is some of the hardest birds I've ever killed. Is I, it? I grew up hunting in Kentucky, and those birds up there, they're just they're a different breed. They're yeah. They're, what is it that makes them hard to think? I don't know. They're just smart. They get up on top of those big mountains, and it's hard to get them off of them. Yeah. And it's hard to get up there to them. I found a similar experience, but it went the other way. I was in Nebraska. There is a, a hound driving a freaking four-wheeler. You see everything at the convention, dude. It doesn't. That I'm not funny. surprised. <laughs> that dog's just sitting there. Anyway, I digress. I went to Nebraska last year, and I didn't know that the terrain had canyons. Deep canyons and there's full-grown trees coming out of these canyons and you'll 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 strike a bird and he's from here to the column you know 30 yards but they never come out of the canyon so you drive yourself absolutely crazy calling to this bird that's responding and you're you're you're, you're having this battle that you're never going to win because the birds are staying there and if you go down after him you likely die <laughs> you're exactly. not coming out man there's exactly. no steps yep it's funny man well, I appreciate you stopping by. I know. Uh, Thanks for having me. I know we kind of went back and forth schedule wise, but uh, you know, every time we get to tell a, a unique story or a different story, it just it continues to add power. And I hope people hear your voice, are inspired to, uh, to to take up a challenge of you know joining our ranks. I hope they download your music. Where can they find your stuff? Anywhere you download music. Anywhere. Spotify, that's it. Apple. That's music, the way to do it. I mean, all the places. Anybody Josh make Bagel. CDs anymore? Um, I no. get hard copies sometimes and, and I sell them on my shows. Nice. Um, oh, good. So I'll put so them they on still the merch table. And, yeah. Good. What about vinyl? People still press some vinyl? Um, I've seen it making a comeback here as of late. Yeah, people people do press vinyl. It's, it's, it, it has made a little bit of a comeback. Yeah. I have a record player in my house. So. 50 bucks a record now, I've yeah, seen. They're very hey, expensive. That's crazy. Man. Hey, cool. thanks hey, so much. It's thanks, been a pleasure. Man. Nice to meet you. Appreciate Enjoy the rest you. of the convention. Bye. Put the headphones on. This is my first podcast where we're not talking into a computer. Uh, yeah, throw them on. It helps you hear, although a lot of the stuff's died down. So, can you hear me all right? Yeah. I'm well, clear. I'm good. We're recording. All right. So, you got an official title now? Can we release this? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know a if it's board a f- member? officially been released. Yeah, board of directors on a national board. So, um, it's humbling. Like, uh, I feel like I'm just a little snot-nosed kid still, right? And I think I think my attitude like that's helped me along in life. I've always been felt like I was a young kid or the underdog or somebody that needed to prove himself. And uh, so just to have that opportunity and the fact that enough people thought enough of me uh, means a lot. And um, I think with the, the attitude of I got to prove myself, I got to prove myself just just kind of sets you up that you're going to be successful. Um, you know, I grew up, I was a dirt, I grew up in a dirt poor family, uh, great memories growing up, but we never had anything. And, uh, I moved out of the house in college when I probably should have stayed home. And, uh, but I was too stubborn to, and, um, started some businesses and, uh, didn't have any money. And, and, you know, there was days that I went days that I didn't have enough money to buy food. And like, that feels really close like that wasn't that long ago and the fear of not eating again like that wakes me up in the morning and uh that that 
flows over to NWTF. Um, you know, you, my, my brother made a, a speech one time and, uh, you know, a lot of people use value and reputation kind of in the same context and, uh, which, but they're two totally different things. Your reputation is what you've done in the past, but your value is what you bring in the future. And no matter what your reputation was in the past, it has nothing to do with your value in the future. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I've, you know, known about the NWTF, obviously, for a long time as a little kid watching TNN Outdoors and seeing Turkey Call on the uh, on the TV show in the, in the spring, in the spring seasons when all the hunting shows kind of ended and you had fishing and then turkey hunting yeah. and, uh, you know, dive in on on the Turkey Call TV show. And that's when I really got my first exposure to NWTF. Um, but just really excited and hopefully, uh, you know, what the NWTF is looking for as far as direction that, that I I can add add some value to that it's uh bear davidson's joining us here in the tree call all access podcast booth here at the conventions workshop um i'm excited and i there's no way else for me to say this and i'm not saying it in a in a negative or derogatory way i i'm appreciative of the youth selection i think i think it brings a fresh set of eyes ideas um passion right not that that's lacking i just think it's with our rebranding where we're going the people who we're directly trying to go to i think uh i think your addition backs that up well i know so that was my first question when they asked me you know do you want to be on the board um you know the the idea is to get some younger perspective on it and i said i do not want to be on the board if you're just asking me because i'm younger just checking the box yep and in today's political world i don't want to get into politics but there there's opportunities for people and they they may be the best person for the job across the board but you don't know because you, you, you fit a box that, that they're looking for. And uh, I had that conversation. My oldest sister's a litigation attorney and she worked her tail off to get where she's going. And she gets frustrated because there are people that move up through the company that aren't the best person for the job, sure. but they fit the box. Sure. And she said it negates everything that she's ever done and everybody before her. And um, Park Shackelford, you know, one of the, the board of directors, that's the first thing I told him was, look, man, like if I'm if I'm being selected because I'm I fit that box of the of a younger person. I said, I don't want it. It's not fair to the NWTF. It's not fair to me. Uh, it's not fair to everything else that it affects with me. Then joining the national board, you know, our state chapter in Virginia. So uh, <clears throat> I was I wasn't really I didn't know what to expect in Park's answer. But uh, the way Parks and, and Brian Perry responded to that question um, sold me on on. OK, like. It, they do. They did their due diligence on that aspect. They they weren't just trying to find somebody that they thought could could fit. So. You certainly bring other intangibles to bear. Yeah, I mean that's what you hope, right? Like you get picked because you're the right person for the job, not not just because you fit the demographic that they want. And uh, you're talking about the rebranding and stuff. I know the logo has been um, a topic of of everybody. Is social media? I, I mean, obviously, you know, you're 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 involved heavily on social media. I have with, no idea what you're talking yeah, about. So <laughs> it's you just get. <laughs> tired of it um and you know it's like the same 10 not the same 10 people that are saying it but pretty close uh, 
here, you know, that uh, I'm sitting here working with with Drake Waterfowl and an old Tom brand there at the booth and across the, the walkway from us is the turkey shop with all the new gear. And man, it's rolling through there. And everybody that's wearing a hat like you are, I ask them, what do you think of the brand? And uh, I really want to see what the young people think, too. Right. Because and everybody loves it. Um, now, obviously, they bought it. They just they're not wearing it because they didn't like it. But um it's so refreshing to to not hear the same 10 people on Facebook, you know, not like it and, and just see a I don't know how many people came through today, but a tremendous crowd. So let me. Uh, <laughs> this is part of this all access and this is where I, I start towing, pushing little envelopes yeah. here and I, I get to do that. And if I get in trouble, like, I'm not going to get in trouble. I what I will tell you is uh, where we're positioned. I get to see almost everybody walking through mm -hmm. and not that I'm not watching everybody, but to the point. Some of the loudest voices early on, and I don't want to breathe fire into this, this foolishness because that's that's where I'm at on it. Uh, but I saw some of those people. I know exactly who they are. And guess what? And I knew they'd be here. And sure crap. Yeah. They walked right through them doors and they're going to go have a good time. I saw one How of them earlier. You? Yeah, I saw one of them earlier who the same thing was was upset on social media. Probably the same. One of the same. And now they're now they're I actually when I was waiting for you, I was cruising through Facebook and I saw them about how proud they were of of what their stuff has been doing here at the event. So um, I'd like to uh, I come from an old school family where, you know, sometimes you, you always want to take the high road. But uh, my father was a was a hardworking uh, rancher and cattleman. And uh, in his world, sometimes you came to fisticuffs and like some of that stuff. Obviously, I'm not going to do that. But you want to be like, I told you so. Like, yeah, I mean, you can take the high road and not. I mean, that's easy to do. Right. But we can also sit here and acknowledge between you and me. And know exactly what we're talking about and that's and that's all i need yep. and i know that certain individuals are being seen by other people that know that i don't need to tell you because you you already know you yeah. know what you said what you've been saying and yet you're still here and that speaks to the power of our of our organization and the importance of it oh it's the people here you want to talk about uh I know you and I've talked off air in the past about Ray Smith. Absolutely love Ray. Um, he's somebody who got me involved in the NWTF outside of the local level. And what got me involved was his genuineness of I'm just glad you're here. And so, uh, you know, Ray's here with with his wife, Becca. Yeah, and they came in here earlier and um, you know, Ray's talking about how great it is just to see everybody again. And, uh, I think it was good for him to just see that and be a part of it again and, and know like, Hey, like we're all still family, like, you know, yep. So, uh, and that's what this is about. And I've seen people talk about that in years past. This is my second time, my, my, my third time coming to the NWTF. It's my second time really kind of being involved and, uh, in Nashville. And, uh, it is, I mean, you get to see people that, uh, you've crossed paths with social media wise, and now you get to shake their hand and introduce yourself and put a face to a name. And, um, it's, it's pretty powerful. I, I, I remarked on the very thing this morning at our rendezvous about this weird uniqueness in the universe where we're at in human history, right? Especially the last two years that we're living through screens. Uh, we work with people, we have colleagues, but we've never shook their hand. And I noticed last night at the little pub crawl that we had that everyone was saying, it's nice to meet you. Been talking to you for two years. And it just, yeah. 
it's just this weird part of of, of mankind's history. Uh, and but to that point, it further backs up why we need to be together physically. You can do a lot of uh, you know ones and zeros mm-hmm. through a screen, but you can never replace my things falling in. I don't know. Somebody getting rowdy yeah, out there. They're starting to drink. You can never replace the human element. Absolutely. You can't. You have. We are social creatures. We have to be together. And, and there's a ton of value to that. And uh, I mean, you see a lot of organizations that, that, that do stuff virtually, but their biggest impacts are when they get together and can share ideas and just off the cuff kind of stuff. I mean, you can get on a Zoom call or a board call, or whatever, and talk about everything. But to just sit around and kind of, um, you know, let things snowball in conversation and, and see which direction they go and how they develop. And it's a grassroots. And right. That's exactly what we are as NWTF. Like we're a grassroots organization. And, you know, you as far as volunteers, you probably probably very rarely get involved because you call Edgefield and say, hey, I want to be a volunteer. You get involved because you know somebody who's involved and you understand how much it means to them or the passion to them. I'll I'll make a comment. Um, my boss lady, we call her boss lady, Ann Gravit. She's not a hunter. She's not even a turkey hunter. Like she is no hunter. When when we moved ranches, uh, we had a little groundhog hiding under one of our outbuildings. And uh, I called him one day running around. So I sat up on the hill with a 204. And as a rancher, groundhogs can can tear up a field pretty good. Oh, yeah. So she comes home and she's like, what are you doing? And I, I said, I'm sitting here. I'm going to shoot this groundhog. She goes, no, you're not. So what do you mean? She goes, that bowl of water out there? She had a bowl of water sitting <laughs> in the middle of the yard. She goes, he looked thirsty earlier. Now she's a major donor to the NWTF has zero desire to kill turkeys. Um, doesn't hunt anything, and it's it's not her deal. And you know what? She she, I would make a safe bet. I've never had a conversation with her, but I doubt she probably doesn't even care about the mission. It's the people that she cares about, and uh, and she's here. And this is a, this is a big big trip for her just to come down and have a good time and and rub elbows with folks that she met last time she was down here. So it's uh it's and, pretty neat. And stuff like that is why. Volunteers, uh, staff alike, get so passionate, and we defend our brand so vehemently. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and our. I'm not gonna lie, I get pissed, man. Well, it's funny because you're starting to see that on social media now. Like when uh, when the new logo came out. Uh, a lot of people were taking the high road, right? And this, you know what? It, um, but now a lot of people are standing up and, and supporting it. And, it, you know, I'm not going to say keyboard warriors or whatever, but just getting in arguments and maybe arguments is the wrong word. But, uh, you know, getting in discussions on Facebook about it and what, you know, six months ago, people weren't doing it. And now there are people that are jumping up and saying, hey, man, enough's enough. Like, we're rolling. Are you with us or not? We're going to protect uh, our house, man. I think a lot of people are saying, you know what? Yeah, I am with you. So it's and that, awesome. that passion, that passion is what should resonate with people when we're talking about healthy Yelp, right? That should carry over when we're having those conversations with would be members, people that like your boss lady have nothing to do with it. But you can talk so passionately about it and your face can get flushed because your your blood and your adrenaline is starting to pump because it just has this, this physiological effect over you because you care that much. That's what 
people gravitate to, man. They want to be a part of that. hundred percent why she's involved in that. And it's, it's not because she likes turkeys or wants to save turkeys or anything like that. It's that she sees the drive in me and, and she's a fantastic lady is, is like, is, is family to me. It's not like family is family to me. And, uh, she a hundred percent sees how it affects me and, and knows that it's important. And, uh, maybe not if she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't even understand why it's important. She just knows it's important. Yeah. And that matters to her. Yep. And you nailed it, man. Like there are people, Ray Smith included. I, I can, I, I do. He is my family more than some of my blood family. Yep. I don't have a problem with those folks, but it's, there's just a connection. It's just how it happens, man. Yeah. And I, I love that dude. I, I, I suspect as much as you do. Yeah, I certainly appreciate him um, probably more than he knows. Yeah. So. Yep. And that and that that transcends the other folks here, too. Right. And it's that's contagious. It's, yeah. I mean, it is absolutely contagious. And, uh, you know, in today's world, especially going back to social media, where the negative stuff really takes off. And, and I mean, there's algorithms on that that feed off of that. Right. You get more of an elicited response off of a negative emotion than you do a positive emotion. But I mean, you can't be anything but happy right now with with everything that's going on and you can be tired i know you're probably tired um and it's only what's today thursday yeah. so we got a couple more days of this but um uh you know that tires earned because it's it's such a such a good time and it's you know it's you're physically tired but i mean this like this right here What's stuff to complain about? No, absolutely nothing. I'll sleep. I wonder what the poor people are doing today, right? Is is always we we say that in the ranching world as we're sitting there eating a steak wa- over a fire, watching yeah. the, watching the, the moon come up. You know, wonder what the poor people are doing today. I, I I in moments of brief, quick despair, I will always go back to standing on a gate at Langley Air Force Base as a two stripe A one C, waving people in in the pouring freezing rain, soaked all the way to my butt cheeks still doing it having that discipline but in my head being like sucks yeah what did i do i i don't i you know you're not better than you know i'm not saying i'm better than one person or another but i'm saying is remember your past remember where you come from like there's way worse things you can be doing if you haven't done worse things and this is the worst thing you do your life's gravy man (laughs) i don't know we got this guy talking here can I talk? Yeah, talk. Okay. I mean, you may drown it out, but I, uh, I've got to do a lot of cool things in my life from, from weed eating fence lines to, to meeting certain people. And I honestly, everything that I've ever done has led me to be better at what I'm doing. And I might not enjoyed it at the time. I mean, there was a lot of jobs I did growing up and I did to survive and, um, you know, to pay the bills and to eat dinner and stuff like that, that, uh, was a great experience. I'll never do it again. I never want to go back to that again, but man, like I took something away and Anne's late husband, Ben Gravit, who, um, I knew I've known the Gravit family. That's who I work for. I've known them since I was 13 years old. And, uh, Ben was somebody who he was he was so smart he went to eighth grade twice and then he dropped out <laughs> and uh, self-made man built up a huge construction company um, the the thing about him was and when he told me he was one of the smartest businessmen I ever I ever knew he was charismatic uh, he was great with numbers he understood big ideas and how to make them work and um, one of the things he told me was and I and I'll I'll take out some of the specific words but he said he he's had a lot of stupid people work for him in his lifetime but he they always had something to teach him 
and you know it's kind of like the same thing like there there was stuff that i didn't enjoy doing um classes that i took in high school and college and i'm like this is dumb why am i learning this but everything that i did um kind of set the tone for where i'm at today and it's when you look at that you know I was listening to a podcast one time or maybe it was a speech by Will Smith and he was talking about life and death and everybody looks at life and death as a, as a straight line. You're born, you live, you die. And he says, it's a circle after death, there's rebirth. And a lot of people miss the rebirth and I'm not necessarily death itself, but maybe a job opportunity. You start a job, you do the job and then you get fired from the job or you quit the job or whatever. And everybody's focusing so hard on the death part, the quitting or the getting fired that they miss the rebirth part. And you know, every stuff that I'm doing now is going to prepare me for something in the future. And, and who knows what that is, but looking back on it, um, you know, this is just the next step for hopefully something bigger and better. I mean, we're never done. And I think that's the value of the NWTF and, and the people, right. Um, you know, being on the national board and being a younger guy, I feel like I have more years available to affect, you know, what's going on. And, um, I owe that to a lot of people who gave me opportunity to be here because uh, I don't want to waste their efforts into me. And if I can pass on some some effort that they gave me and affect somebody else in a way that they affected me, like that's the ultimate repaying. I, like I can't repay them in any other way. So. It's um, the timing of your appointment is, I, I, I assume you're excited, I'm but the, the times are exciting absolutely you know where we're at in our history and then you get to come on and be a part of yeah. that i mean as we phase into the next 50 years everything works out for a reason right i mean time it's my one of my biggest um the actually the only reason that i questioned whether i wanted to be on the national board was i didn't want to leave my state chapter and i've been a vice president of virginia for a little over a year uh, we are firing right now and we have so many people excited. We had our state chapter meeting a couple weeks ago. We had so many people excited and, um, that my fear was, you know, I didn't want to affect that momentum and, but there might not be another chance like this. Uh, I might, you know, if I turned it down, I might not have got asked again. And, uh, so, you know, I want to take full advantage of the opportunity and, and, and hopefully I can affect NWTF in a positive manner. I mean, that that's why I'm here. So I got two years, you know, it's a three year term. I figure I got two years of just of working really hard and being quiet and trying to be involved in as many committees as I can and and learning what's going on. And but taking it through my eyes and uh, and, and and, you know, my ideas and my understandings. And then hopefully the time comes where I'm able to give back a little bit more than, than what I originally was able to. So. I suspect you will likely be very successful at all of those goals. Um, congratulations. Um, I'm glad to see it. Uh, very deserving and uh, lead us. We're going to have fun. Yeah, this I'm is looking exciting. forward to it. So, so, hey, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Enjoy convention. Happy convention. Yes, sir. You too. And uh, I'll see you. I'll see you around town. Sounds good. Thank you so much. All right, Thank you. Yes, sir. No, no, no. We're good. David Ellis is joining us. Our last guest of uh, First Day Convention. He's in the Turkey Call All Access uh, booth. David Ellis, is it the Yacht Yacht or is it Yacht Yacht or where am I at? Well, I'm David Ellis, but they call me Yacht Yacht. And, uh, you know, it's just a hen yip with a southern draw where I come from. So That's <laughs> we, where it we is. We don't yip at them. We get them with that Yacht Yacht. 
we got connected and I started uh, checking out, you know, your social feeds and then the, the material you're putting on and then YouTube and right. you got a little niche in the world carved out for you. You're pretty uh, proficient pig trapper, eh? Oh, yeah. I tell you what, I, like I said, a lot of my YouTube and Facebook, Yacht Yacht is uh, started off with the turkey stuff and I got the nickname Yacht Yacht and then, uh, but I was always been a trapper. So as I got to going, you can only do turkey stuff a couple months out of the year. Sure. So I started getting into that trapping and man, it has just blown up, which, you know, trapping the, the fur animals and pigs and everything else helps with the turkey population sure. itself. So. certainly doesn't hurt. That's right. So what, uh, you know, we had Alan Probst on here from North American Trapper That's earlier right, today. That's buddy yeah. And uh, I'm a very passionate trapper myself okay. and advocate for, for trapping and, uh, you know, beyond just, you know, eating eggs, right? Because it's, right. it's a part of the solution. Right. Uh, it's not the solution. We understand that, right? But, you know, as a community, I'm very passionate about all outdoorsmen standing up for trapping. That's right. That's because right. it is the lowest hanging fruit and it's super easy to bastardize and for people to come after. Right. And they do. They and look what they hard. did the first two months of this legislative period uh, uh, in states locally and at the national level. Right. You know? That's right. Well, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people don't. It took a minute because, you know, when you push stuff like it on social media, when it comes to trapping, it's a little bit different than when you're shooting a deer at 100 yards or shooting a hog at 100 yards. You know, it's, it's a little bit different when you got to dispatch an animal that you got in a trap. But, you know, it's not made for everybody. But through my social media, I make it not disrespectful, but more fun, more uplifting and having a good time with what we're doing and in, in draw, involving kids. So, uh <clears throat> I think I've done a pretty good job with it. You know, I think I got 400,000 something followers on Facebook and, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, man, this, this, this Yop Yop stuff started as, like I said, I, I used to have a, a name for, you know, killing turkeys and, 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 and stuff like that kind of for my town was pretty good at it, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, the Lord just took it, what I call the Lord just took it to, uh, a new level of, uh, kind of getting my, my name or my brand out there you know a little bit better so uh you know i always wanted to write a book you know tall tales of turkey hunting but i couldn't spell the words the way i say them so i didn't <laughs> but the lord gave me a, a different platform to uh <laughs> <laughs> there is uh you know uh oh the old red beard yeah you ever you follow him on facebook I've seen him a few times. that dude can type and write in the way he speaks his, right. his dialect I, yeah. I i like start signing it out i'm like oh that's what he's saying I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know how hard it probably is. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the pig game, do you, do you prefer it to, you know? Man, I'm a, I'm a trapper at heart. Just all of it. Man, I love it all. Uh, pig trapping is where the money's at. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't want to pay you, so I'm hiring a trapper. They don't want to pay you to trap the coons and the possums and the, the skunks and the coyotes and stuff like that because they don't particularly see the damage. Sure. You get a skunk spray under your house, they're gonna pay you to come get the skunk. Yeah, or a skunk's out there digging up the grubs in your yard. That's right, so armadillo, stuff like that. Something that homeowners or landowners can visually see, that's when they'll spend money. Yeah. But they don't say, well, the coyotes ain't hurting me. Well, they're not, but they're hunting 365 days a year. Yeah. And it's hurting if you like to hunt turkeys. You know, you need to balance it out. And when we balance it out as, as we try to balance it out. I would suspect uh, uh, a, a group of hogs coming through rooting up your yard is yeah. a sizable amount of damage. Oh yeah, I call them at the front door. Like literally the light on, like the, the Motel 6 with the light on. I've had the video camera set up and the light on. But uh, yeah, hogs will come in for anything that puts anything on the ground. I mean, 
a oak tree seedling comes up, a hog will come by yeah. and pull the oak. I mean, it just everything. Wipes oh, there they'll eat fawns, right? They'll eat anything, right? Anything, and they just come in and twenty and thirty at a time, and they're just mowing it down. And people say, well, how many eggs does it actually eat? Every nest it comes up on yeah. is going to eat or, or sit on or lay on, you know. So, as a trapper, as a conservationist, right? I all of our indigenous fur bears, and maybe I'm contradicting myself, especially when it comes to turkey, right? Because turkeys are in spots they never really were. That's what I love about these conversations. I don't mind the raccoons and the possums and the skunks. Like they're they're here. They're here for yeah. a reason. They have their place, and right. when everything's balanced out, pigs, nah, nah. I I I mean I don't have pigs in New Hampshire. I mean there's a couple that supposedly got uh, uh, Eurasian boars that escaped from a private preserve, but right. it's not to the extent like you guys have. And every one of those suckers should be just I mean, they got to be snuffed gone. out. Yeah, and a lot of people. I get a lot of people like, what did you do with the babies? But you there's know? no way to yeah. do that, right? Mm-hmm. From what I've been told, from the people that professionally do this, like there's no way to eradicate them. Yeah, I mean it is it is hard to to keep it to where you are. Uh, don't harm other animals. You can't just go out and poison a hog. Yeah, no, maybe, you I, know, I do you not can't go out there and do that. that. And I actually work with Mississippi State University now. And uh, <clears throat> I give them hogs. They do research on the blood types, bacteria, yeah. and everything like that. But uh, but we're from the South. I mean, the, the grease kills most of the stuff. <laughs> you know, we don't worry too much about that. But they also do research with the buzzards. They catch the buzzards, put locators on them, and then we can figure out what they're where they're going, where they're coming from. So we'll know if you can put a landfill within 10 miles of an airport because you don't want the buzzers to roost. So we use that, but also we catch people who are out there poisoning animals. And then when a buzzer comes in and, and eats on it and it dies, well, when that transmitter hadn't been moved in 24 hours, right. we go out there, we test the buzzers, find out it's poison. We find out who's been poisoned and what. Because I know hogs are hard and it, it gets you aggravated when you're laying on it, tears up everything. But like I said, poison's not the answer. No. We, we don't know what the answer, I, we don't know what the answer is yet here in the South, but we know poison ain't it because you'll just wipe out everything. Yes, uh, but yeah, I just, but through my social media, through my YouTube, I can kind of show you how I do it in the, the most fastest. I mean, we went thermal hunting the other night. I'm not a good shot, but we stayed out two o'clock in the morning. We killed one hog. Yeah. There's people out there that can go out there and kill a hundred hogs in Texas. Mississippi, it just don't work that way. Uh, yeah, you shoot them and they all, they all scatter. That's right, but like, we, the way I trap them, you know, you catch 20. Far more effective. Yeah, you catch 20 at a time, and they say, well, it's trap shot. Well, then that's when your thermal hunters and your dog hunters come in and try to help you finish out, because you want them all gone. So, you know, what we heard from two sides, like especially when it came to coyotes for years, right, was that you had one side saying you're going to eradicate them all, and then you had this other side that was a... I don't want to call them anti-trapping, but they certainly were friendly yeah. to trapping or hunting for that matter. But the trappers like to- Oh, so to, coyotes, yeah. right? So this one side was saying, you keep shooting coyotes, they're, they're responsive breeders. And this side was saying, it's bullshit, doesn't happen. Right. Well, then they did a study on it. Turns out with peer reviewed articles, that that's true. Okay. They, they do. So my, I guess my question is, are pigs like that? Has there been studies on that? Because if you're going out there and they're responsive breeding, those suckers breed a lot. Uh, are they doing it like twice a year? A minimum twice a year. Once they're, once they're, so a once coyote they're litters once a year. Right. 
So these suckers are, you know, they're just so prolific. So yeah. will they, I'm that, I'm not asking you to answer this question. I'm just yeah, more well, just like thinking. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I'm not, look, don't take any of what I'm saying here is as, as gospel or anything. I'm asking questions and being provocative on purpose because right. I want people to think as conservationists, we should think like this. We should yeah. ask questions. Is what we're doing the right medicine? Is this the way to diagnose this? I think shooting pigs out of a helicopter looks like a damn good time. Right. I mean, you go out there and just waste them. Is there, are they responsive breeders? If they're not, yeah. can we put more helicopters up in right. the air? Well, and what's the legalities I, of that? I usually don't let none of them know that there's any left that they've been trapped. So <laughs> if <laughs> 20 yeah. hops come in, I catch 20. It feels like that trapping that you guys do down there is, is probably the most effective, yeah, right? right? That's the most effective. Most bang for your buck yeah. and energy. And we just got a lot of timber. A lot of bottoms, so it's hard to get down there in the bottom to catch all of them. So, you know, we, we hit them as hard as we can. Like I, said, I think I caught fifty last week. You know, caught thirty. I thought caught thirty four days before I got here. And there's no shortage of them. No, they just keep coming. So, I, and I'm a hire trapper, so I can I only can I can only do so much. So, who pays? That's where I go. And uh, but I wish I could. Once was my social media, and we got web pages coming. We got a lot of things happening to where the people that can't pay see the see the guy may own a thousand acres, he can pay. The old guy that inherited 40 acres from his great-grandparents, right. he might not be able to hire me to come over there. But I still need that 40 acres to trap. Because if not, those pigs are going to sit there until they breed and then come back on the guy who can. Yeah, yeah. So we're trying to make it to where we got a team of people that can keep moving around and it don't cost a landowner. So we're working on those things. It's coming big. You know, even if I had to just use my YouTube money, you know, to, to make it happen, yeah. you know, we're fishing, we're fishing to make it happen. But, uh stuff like that but is there a, there a food value to those pigs uh yeah in mississippi it is man we eat everything but the squeal you know so <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be on a t-shirt yeah. <laughs> we eat everything but the squeal i mean we'll make a we'll make a whole ball pasta you know yeah. uh you know so so there's so there's there is a, an actual value to it and i mean is there like programs like hunters for the hungry and stuff like yeah, that the, the, you just got to worry about the things in the state of mississippi you have to worry about the right ways to go about it uh if you own the land and you trap the pigs, they're your pigs. You can do what you want to. Me, I don't own the land. I'm just a trapper. I can't necessarily go out and do what I want to with them. So like, do you have to ask the landowner that those pigs are on? Like, Yeah, those are, those are your pigs. What do you want to do with them? Yeah. You want me to take them to the processor? I mean, what do they normally say? Do what you want. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to be bothered with them. And some of them, I, you know, I'll process or they'll have them processed and, and I'll pay for it and they'll fill their freeze. And then some of them I got, I mean, we got a process in Mississippi. You just have to watch how you do it. Nobody's ever died from eating a pig in Mississippi, yeah. a wild pig. But the government believes if it ain't USDA inspected on the hoof live, you know, and it- Yeah, so they did genetic tests I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but your wild pigs are genetically the same as as I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, farm swine. Yeah, right? I mean, they just they just grow up. I mean, if you were thrown out in the wild and you spent twenty years in the wild, yeah. you wouldn't shave. So but you I, just I, look different. You I, know what I mean? You just look different. If I'm wrong on this, and someone's hearing this, email me because I, you know, I'm happy to to research it, and I want to be right on the things I say. I don't want to just be uh, yeah. throwing stuff out there to throw it up. But I, I'm fairly certain that I, I heard that from a reputable source and to the point that it stuck in my my gray matter because it intrigued me. I was like, oh, no kidding. Like yeah. something that I got, you know, like you said, it was out there and got super feral and just, you know, started reverting to his wild yeah. form. Right. But on a, on a biological scale, pig's yeah. a pig's a pig. Oh yeah, well see, the thing was, I used to hunt a place called the hog lot. Yeah. We used to turkey hunt, that's where you went. Every time you pulled up to the hog lot, 
you know, you heard a turkey. Well, the the landowners died. They didn't have these pigs in a pen. They had them in a. They had them like in just barbed wire fence, and they literally got out in the roads, the country roads. The landowners died. There was two brothers. They both died short part apart. And those 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 regular pigs, three years down the road, were sitting out there with these big long tusks. Hair doesn't grow. I don't yeah. know. What, I don't know what changed. The hair grew out on them. It's just like they basically went. Feral. I mean, yeah. they, you know, they went from tamed, and you you come up with slop, and you fed them, and then two years down the road, nobody fed them, so they just they kind of went. They just changed their look, changed their demeanor, changed. I feel like in that same study that they said all the wild pigs, to include Hawaii, same pig. Yeah. But like you go to Africa and the bush pig. Yeah. This biologically is different, and there's a couple other out in Asia, I think. Yeah. That are different, but everywhere else the same pig. That's that's remarkable because that same species, that genus, yeah. occupies the most of the globe. Right. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And I catch pigs that look different all the time. People say that's a Russian. That's a that's just old pop belly pig. Or they just got different looks about them. It don't. It could just be a different. Some of them ain't got hair. I don't know if it's lice or fleas or. And some of them, I've I've caught them with long hair. Look like they had like they had a perm. They just they're just. I don't know. Maybe they just adjust. Maybe they're, they're just, individuals like us, right? Yeah, I, that's the way different. I feel about it. You know, uh, but like I said, trapping ain't for everybody. A lot of people are like, well, you killed the babies that you caught. Well, I mean, those, in three months, he's ready. She's ready to breed. Yeah. Three more months, she's dropping a litter. That's crazy. And then when she gets over that, she's she's ready to go back in heat. So you know, you're going in heat every three months after you've had a litter, then. It's hard to stop it, but I think we got a game plan. I use the big pig trap, hog eye camera system. It's live. I can watch them. It's live within a second or two Does seconds. Does it drop automatically? Or you you I hit push the, the button when yeah. I'm ready. So uh, so when you got I enough do my in scouting. there, yeah, I do my scouting. I figure out how many hogs, how many sandals. It might be three groups there. So when you got three groups and everybody's like, well, you're gonna have trap shot pigs. Well, here's how you do it. If you got a group coming in at seven o'clock in the afternoon, a group coming in at midnight, and a group coming in at four o'clock in the morning, you drop on the four o'clock in the morning. The other one's already ate and been gone. They never see it drop. You go in there and knock them in the head. You know, that's my phrase. We we use a you know a long rifle, but and then next day you catch the group that was coming in at midnight, and you you reverse the go catch. reverse order. And they never see each other get caught, and then you catch fifty in a week, and. Uh, they territorial. You can you think that many pigs living in the same area? Like, well, boars roam anyway. So we did it. We also did a study with Mississippi State. We put we we, we caught we caught some. We uh, dispatched all of them but one pig. We had permits to do this. Turned it back loose and we had a GPS collar on it. Checked it. Boar hogs. They're going to roam anyway. They'll drive five six miles. They're going to roam. A, a sow. She's going to she's going to find her another group. And when she found that other group. We, we pinged her location. Of course, you ping it every day. We get the landowner, go in there and tell him he's got hogs. We'd like to go in there and get them. We go in there and trap those hogs, turn that same GPS hog back loose. Within three weeks, she's found another sounder to hang with because she's a sow. The boars won't do that. They're just going to go in there and they're going to try to breed. And once they get everything bred, move on to, you know, they just want to keep breeding. So, uh, you know, we, we worked that way for a while. But you only got a certain amount of time because it's, it's a neck collar. Yeah, right. So they're going to grow, right. you know. And uh, most of the time it's going to be a younger sow that's kind of... That's fascinating. Yeah, so. And see, this is, you know, when we talk about this, I mean, this stuff's going to be humorous, right? There's an entertainment yeah. value, especially for what you're doing. But when you back it up with facts and studies and peer-reviewed articles... It changes, it changes the conversation. 
And and people that would otherwise dismiss what you're saying or doing now have to responsibly sit back and be like, okay, well, yeah. all right, maybe because entertainment value aside, there's something here. That's right. That's right. And we need to pay attention. And they didn't. A lot of people be like, are like, I didn't know there was that many wild hogs that could be just in one location. That's crazy. Or the state of Mississippi. And I'm just one person. I'm not even the person that catches the most hogs. Yeah. I'm just known, you know, through the social media. You know, a lot of people can't. If I got on there and just went, okay, we called hogs, went in there, and you dispatch the animals, you walk out. A lot of people are like, well, he's just a, you know, he's a, you know, they're gonna call you names for it. They're gonna call you names anyway, but they just feel like that trapper just wants to knock him. He just wants to kill something, but it's not. I can't believe there's people that are super like. It's crazy. Charismatic about it's pigs. Crazy. It's crazy. I can see it about raccoons and yeah, you know, fur bearing critters because of the like we talked earlier about the Disney effect. Because that's basically what I have. Yeah, raccoons. You can't YouTube will block your money on a, trapping a raccoon in a split second. You know, it just it's Disney. Disney's ruined a lot of it. But they just a lot of people hadn't done it. They live in the city. They've never been out. You know, my kid grew up at four years old. You know, catching the possums. Five, six years old, he's catching. Uh, coyotes, you know, we grew up just differently, you know, than what people and they just the people that don't agree with it, they're a loud voice. Because when it comes to trapping and hunting, we're one little group. But if you don't agree with it, that's everybody else. Everybody's against, you know. Um, you know I, I suspect and, and think that as as you present your arguments, right, and you back it up with facts, yeah, um, and you're you're tempered in your arguments. That that's that's the key. And again, we were Alan and I were talking about that earlier. That it's it's the education part. Yeah, you know. And I think COVID offered a, a a unique opportunity that we're continuing to capitalize on and still like make work for us. And that people like to eat. That's right. And when people thought that they were going to go hungry, it kind yeah. of freaked them out. Yeah. And that's, and that's one thing we here didn't have that problem. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it wasn't this this virtuous uh, holier than thou right. kind of thing. It was, it's just our yeah. lifestyle. You're welcome to it. That's right. We encourage it. That's right. Come along. That's right. Go get it. Go out there and hunt. I mean, the, the deer processing plants during COVID, during the time of the fall and winter months, they they were filling up so fast they could not even keep. I mean, they couldn't even take any more deer because people really wanted, you know, it was, and it was a lot more people. But, you know, I tell a lot of people all the time, you know, I try to, I try to help feed people best I can with, with what I catch, whether it be the deer or whatever. You know, and somebody's like, well, you are not, I hear they carry diseases. You might not be feeding somebody with that. Okay. Keep the, for, I tell people, keep the grease hot because we're from the South. Our stomachs are a little bit different. But also, you ever looked at man in the eye? that's trying to feed his families and can't afford it. Yes, we have a lot of government assistance that you can get, but some people are just too proud to even try to apply for it. But you look at a man in the face and you tell that man he can't eat because, you know what I'm saying, whether it be the government or whoever, no, you can't eat. I ain't worried with him. I ain't trying to do anything illegal, but you ain't finna tell me I can't feed a man to starve. You know, whether he whether he could get help or not, I'm just, you ain't finna tell me that, you know, and, and so, I could go out there and dump them, could dump all of them in a ditch, or not in a ditch, but you know, in a, well, we have to do it on dry land, so that way the buzzards and the coyotes can clean up. Sure. The earthworms and the grubs can clean up. You don't put it in the water system, you know, but yeah, I mean, there's no, a lot of people grew up thinking you just dump stuff in a ditch. It's a it's a phrase, you don't literally dump it in a ditch. You, know? <laughs> you, know? you put it in the pasture where the cows ain't and let it get cleaned up, but you know, it's just, we're trying to get this pig control, and, and, and I have a platform that I turn kind of from the turkey part of it, 
and uh, and show started showing the trapping and the pig trapping got big and and now we can we can kind of educate. I'm not the best explainer of things, but I can just sit there and talk long enough and then you'll just finally catch up. If you listen enough, you'll catch up to it. You know, yeah, but uh, and maybe we get this pig pig problem under control eventually. It's so. Certainly a fascinating one, um, and you know I appreciate your patience and coming back. Yeah, we got yeah, a little no, yeah. scheduling thing, but um. You know, thank you for sharing yeah. that. I, I like to learn stuff. You know, we can't know yeah. everything. And uh, that works for me. But like I said, uh, I usually, when I do a podcast, I, I kind of end on my part. I appreciate everybody. Y'all can go to uh, David Ellis, the Y'all Y'all on YouTube. Facebook is Y'all Y'all. So, uh, but any which way, I hope y'all have a good day. God bless. It is always Jesus loves you. Thanks again to our, our guests uh, that you heard today. Ben Brennington, Rob Keck, Justin Adams, Josh Bagwell, Bear Davison, David Ellis. Y'all, y'all. Housekeeping. Help the Yelp, guys. I keep asking you and I'm going to keep telling you. Uh, we, we, got, we, we got some goals. Uh, when you get involved with Help the Yelp, the money raised, the memberships, the, the money from those memberships is going directly. It is earmarked for turkey research. So much, so many of us are concerned uh, about turkey numbers, turkey habitat. Here's your chance right here to get involved. You can you can sign up for a membership, which is what we appreciate. And I then I tell you all the time, your membership, your full membership gives gives you a voice, gives our organization power. That's why it's so important. It's not about a magazine. It's not about a sticker, you know, and and, and some flyers that you get in the mail. It is powerful. Your thirty five dollars is is so important that that full-on membership so i'm asking you text yelp y-e-l-p to 44321 get involved today if you don't want the membership and you just want to contribute something because it makes you feel good you can do that too predetermined denomination set up for you one touch uh donating or you can put in a specific amount if you'd like or make it reoccurring one-time bids uh not bids one-time donation so get involved here's your opportunity to to have some skin in the game uh and that's and that's what being a, a true conservationist conservationist is all about right it's not just buying a hunting license it's not just picking up a soda can here or there it is being involved and having that skin in the game four four three two one text yelp get involved um that's it for this week's show guys thanks for for tuning in listening um one more time i'm gonna ask you as well head over to apple hit those five stars i swear to god it takes less than less than 10 seconds if you just get there find trick call all access scroll down you're gonna get through the uh the catalog of episodes here and just hit five stars it, t- 10 seconds and under i promise you uh we got a we got a goal to get fair amount of of those starred reviews um and that's going to help us continue to tell our story and put that story out there uh for everyone to hear and and hopefully uh it starts hitting uh new people's ears and we continue to add add power add add more voice to the big voice we already have and to continue to continue to uh, be able to facilitate wild turkey research, habitat research, habitat enhancement, and then our just our mission in, in totality, right? The conservation of the wild turkey and the preservation of our hunting heritage. That's what we're all about. Unchanged for going on 50 years. That's who we are. And that's what we're doing. Be good. Be kind to each other, guys. It's it's continuing to stay ugly out there at least for uh 90 90 minutes plus here for a little while we can be in our own little element and uh and lift each other up so take that positive energy uh, into your home your neighborhood your church grocery store wherever the hell you're going be kind to each other lift each other up 
We'll see you in a couple days with part three. Promise you it won't disappoint. It's going to be a good time. And then we're back on regular rotation. See you guys. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com. From decoys and calls to apparel, boots, and blinds. Plus, Sportsman's Guide has much more than just hunting gear. From fishing, camping, and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires. For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. 